Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This week's failed podcast. I'm Steve Norman, joined by James Diamond. Hello. Hello, and you. Hello. As we take a look through last week or so in film, and another return of Triple Bill. Like buses, they come along <laughs> two at a time. Should be three at a time, really, shouldn't it? It should, but um... we're not that organised. <laughs> no, we don't know what's going to happen next week yet. No, no. <laughs> Uh, Well, Well, whatever happens, it can't be as shambolic as last week. No, surely not. Let's see if we've set the low bar there. Come on, people. Anyway, uh, we're going to start off with the quiz where Owen is leading 1-0. Yes, okay. Um, So here we go. Uh, Going all the way back to 2001 um, with a film called The Pool. Part of me thinks Owen might have even seen it. looks like the kind of film that Owen might have seen. Oh, crap pool. horror. Yeah, crap horror film. <laughs> exactly right. No? Yeah, okay. No. Okay. Uh, followed up by in 2002 by Bollywood Queen. Yeah, these are, these are, this is a tough start. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 2003, uh, the uh, Stephen Fry directed film Bright Young Things. Right, so I'm assuming it's going to be a British actor. Is it? Is it too obvious to say someone like Hugh Laurie? I can't see him being in some cheap, tacky cheap horror, horror film. film but no, 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 it's not Hugh Laurie. Mm. It's not Hugh Laurie. Um, I've seen that one with Stephen Fry. One, I just can't think. Oh, interesting. Okay, 2004, uh, the rom-com Wimbledon. Steve. Yes. I don't know why I've seen that as well. Or I've seen bits, a bit of it. Is it James McAvoy? Yes! Oh, gosh. <laughs> you have nailed that, Sunshine. And then I was going to... Then it was going to start getting a bit more obvious because then he actually started to... He was in the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, The Witch and the Wardrobe as Mr. Tumnus. And then we were going to hit Last King of Scotland and start of a 10 and Atonement um, where he took off. So, yeah. Um, so Steve pulled it back to one all. I just, I just remember. I'm sure I've seen that Stephen Fry directed one. His name I can't remember already. And yeah, I, I, I know I've seen like half of Wimbledon before thinking, why have I even watched half of this show? <laughs> I remember that as well. Yeah. So no, excellent work, Steve. 
Um, the reason I went for him is it links into one of our first news stories as well. So, so I'd actually, I'm really trying to be a little bit more professional this week. Well, on that note, here is the news. Okay, so um, yeah, for, uh, we spoke either last week or the week before about the nominations for the British Independent Film Awards. Well, they took place in some swanky London, oh, Shoreditch or something, you know, some trendy London bastard place on Sunday. And some really interesting ones. I'm really, really pleased, especially in the acting categories. And the first one I want to talk about is that James McAvoy won Best Actor for filth which i'm really really pleased about i don't know if he'll get any of the more prestigious bigger awards he might not even get nominated but the fact that he he won this award for phil i'm, I'm really really pleased because he's absolutely fantastic in that other interesting ones lindsay duncan for lair weekend uh won best actress i really enjoyed that really really pleased and imogen poots for the look of love won best supporting actress i was gonna highlight that one as well i think that's really well yeah. deserved she was she was really yeah. good in her she was fantastic in that. I've seen her in a few things. She was great in Filth. She was also the only good thing in um, A Late Quartet, which also had Philip Seymour Hoffman and Christopher Walken, who actually, no, to be fair, Christopher Walken was good in it. It was just a really boring film. Um, best Director, and I think Best Film as well, went to Metro Manila, uh, which I've still not seen and still know very, very little about. Apologies for my ignorance there. Um, but I, I keep hearing people go, oh yeah, Metro Manila's really good, but uh, do you know anything about it, Owen? Not really, no. I know it's Drop got a massive it, reputation yeah. already, but yeah. I, I haven't yeah. seen it. Uh, the other uh, award I was very, very happy about was that um, Best International Independent Film went to Blue is the Warmest Colour, so again, really, really happy about that. And Best Documentary went to one of the documentaries that Steve hadn't seen. <laughs> Can you believe it? It went to Pussy Riot, A Punk Prayer. Um, but all in all, uh, yeah, a, a, a pleasing set of results from the Moe British Independent Film Awards. Um, and yeah, it just goes to show there's some cracking stuff out there if you can actually get your local cinema to put it on in the first place. Or in the case of the documentaries, watch Storyville on BBC Four. Exactly. See right, it was on there, yeah. It was, yeah. Uh, yeah, BBC Four and Netflix seem to be the home. Mm. Of so that, that's a good thing um, other big bit of news this week is Disney taking another step to trying to own all the films um, not content with owning Lego uh, all the good Marvel stuff Star Wars obviously um, Disney have now bought the rights to any future Indiana Jones film and you can't help but think if Disney have paid a huge amount for the rights to any future Indiana Jones film, they're not going to leave that one sat on the shelf, are they? Disney have just done, if you're a Football Manager fan, taking a team from the Vauxhall Conference and winning the Champions League five years in a row. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or, or, they're, or they're doing a PSG and they're just buying mm. up every single <laughs> kind of big marquee well, name. They're, 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 they're doing what Chelsea and Man City done when they first got money and just buying every player so no one else can buy them. Yeah, I'm waiting for their film version of Rubinho or something like that. I'm waiting for them to really kind of splash a load of money on a terrible franchise. But um, yeah, just because someone else is sniffing around it. Yeah, <laughs> Sony Pictures are they sniffing go, around Aquaman. <laughs> buy the rights to look who's talking. Yeah, just in case someone else wants to remake it. Like... Just in case. <laughs> yeah. Um, what I did find interesting is in one of these. Um, 
deals. And it was to do with, I think it was to do with Disney and Marvel. It was the Iron Man deal, that's it. Um, they bought the rights, the future rights to Iron Man. This was about a year ago. And part of that deal was, I think it was Paramount Pictures, got the rights to any future Friday the 13th and South Park movies as well. Um, which made everyone think, oh, does that mean there might be a South Park, another South Park movie? And does that mean there'll probably be more terrible Friday the 13th movies as well? But it is weird, it is weird how they kind of like chuck these things out. It's quite interesting. It's, it's in a... more weird if you go into the, the deals they've got between superheroes and who can appear in which studios, films. Mm. And they're yeah. also starting to talk now. Um, Sony are starting to talk apparently with Disney about getting Spider-Man into the into the you know into a vector oh really thing because oh, Sony Sony, Sony realised if they manage, if Sony do that it'll be massive for Spider-Man yeah oh interesting okay well, I, I have interest has there been a has there been a Lego Indiana Jones I think game that has hasn't mm, because I I did notice when I saw the because obviously. Disney have got the rights to Lego film, which is coming out next year. It, and it looks, looks quite good for the trailer. I, I really like the look of it. And I love yeah. the fact that because they've got these Marvel rights, they're able to just have Batman. Uh, they've, they've got Batman in their Batman? Uh, film. Yeah. They've well, got, he's they've not got Marvel. Lego. So... Oh, no, no, no. Not, no, they've got, no, they've got Marvel and they've got DC as well then. Because they've... Batman is... Batman, sorry, yeah, no, you're exactly Batman, right. He's DC, isn't Batman he? Batman and Wonder Woman are in the Lego movie. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Which... Which which is now really that's really confusing me because that means they're crossing the comic beams there. Crossing the streams. That's scary. They're crossing the streams, aren't they? That's scary. That is. But yeah, of course they've got Batman in that. Um, it does make me wonder if I, it makes me wonder if they could just like get five of their franchises in one film. I I, th- I think it's it could happen and it will be horrific. <laughs> I, I, just, I just really I hope Disney know what they're doing. That's all. That's all I worry. Well, they did know, stuff like um, the Kingdom Hearts game. I know it's not the same medium or anything, but that sort of I, I never played it myself. But that blended all their Disney characters with um, is it Final Fantasy characters and something okay. else. So you know they've done it quite successfully previously. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, of course, the Lego games are always fun, and I'm yeah. sure that it'll be much better than that awful and they can't Lego really cartoon that's about Star Wars. Oh right, oh yeah. yeah. I, I I just can't help thinking if they are going to do another Indiana Jones, at least it surely can't be as bad as the last but, one. I mean, what, where can where can you go with Indiana Jones going forward? I mean, because Re- in- reboots probably reboot it will be reboot, yeah, won't it? Has it? to be because like young Indiana Jones in, in Star in Star Wars, you can have Harrison Ford playing Han Solo, yeah. and he can just sit behind yeah. sit behind the steering wheel of his spaceship. He doesn't have to run around and everything like that. And he can still be Han Solo. But you can't really have him being Indiana Jones. He's like quite old now. And he can't be right yeah. And then if you don't reboot it, then you just mean you've got to get Shia LaBeouf back as his son. What? Oh, Jesus. Why would you, why <laughs> yeah. you spend all that money on buying a series of excellent films? Uh, I think it's the reboot. I think you're exact. I think Owen's hit the nail on the head there. It's the reboot. It's the origin story. Um, oh, thinking of reboots then. Yes. What about if yes. Oh, them, look at that. But, well, I was going to say, hopefully they could buy Die Hard if they're going to reboot something and just make sure that it just stays finished with Die Hard 5 because that was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So just, just buy, buy the rights to kill we've, it. We've all yeah. been through my idea. <laughs> to euthanize yeah. it. But a, a, a nicer segue, of course, is James, which yeah. just leading to 
is the reboot of Godzilla. Yeah. The trailers come out today, I think, or it will be yeah. Tuesday for whenever anyone's listened to. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we saw it today, didn't we? Yeah. Yes. And have you seen it, Steve? I've seen a trailer. You've seen a trailer? Yeah. It's sexy, isn't it? Looks good. Damn good looking trailer. Broderick, no Broderick in sight. <laughs> no Not a single Broderick in sight. Yeah, no, I no, I think it looks I, no Jamiroquai on the soundtrack. No, that's right. Now, um, trailers can be misleading. Um, I thought Pacific Rim was decent, but the trailer looked amazing. Um, yeah, there, sometimes it fall falls apart there, but oh, I will say I'm excited. Um, and they look like they've got the tone right, and yeah, it it looks. It looks awesome, doesn't it? it does. Yeah, looks really good. Um, Brian Cranston as well was in it, and now I'm sort of turned on to him. From <laughs> breaking Bad. I'm just looking at everything. <laughs> so, fingers crossed for his performance. But yeah, the trailer looks yeah. looks fantastic. It, you're right, they've got the look right. I'm really pleased they've got the sound right as well. Because yeah. that yeah. Godzilla blood-curdling scream is just... Yeah. yeah they've, they've got that just pitch-perfect, I think. So, yeah. when's I'm, it? I'm really, no, that means... What was that, Steve? When's it out? When's it released? It's out next June, I think, isn't it? Or May, May or June time. So it's uh, it's one of the big kind of early summer 2014 marquee pictures. Um, around the same time as uh, Jupiter Ascending, which the trailer for that was also out this week, and that that looks very Wachowski, and I'm I'm also very excited about that as well. I don't know if either of you have had the chance to see the trailer for that yet. Not yet. No. No. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, Sean Bean is big in it, um, and Mila Kunis, and it's it's the Wachowskis doing some weird shit again. And yeah, I can't having having seen them back on form and doing some awesome work in sci-fi and Cloud Atlas. I'm very very excited for that as well. So there's some good stuff coming up next summer already. And of course the suit, uh, the Spider-Man trailer was out as well, um, but it looked a bit too much like a computer game for me. Well, I don't know. We'll see how that one goes. Mm. But yeah, the Spider-Man thing though, they're just cramming loads of villains in again. I'm not going to go on about it, but that's yeah. basically you hate to kill a franchise. Yeah, that happened just... in Spider-Man three, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, X-Men: Last Stand and all that. They're yeah. Just throwing in loads of characters because they've got the rights to them, and it just ends up being yeah. a big. You know, there's not enough time to dedicate to anyone. It's just one long montage, and it's just. I yeah. think while we're on superheroes, just quick, I think. Um... DC and and you know over at that and they've confirmed now as well as Wonder Woman appearing in Batman versus Superman the Flash yeah. in it as well. Yeah. Oh and um uh, Gal Gadot has been cast as Wonder Woman which I'm mm. quite excited about because I really liked her from the most recent Fast and Furious films. I thought she was actually quite a graceful presence in those films. I I think she's got the look. Um, but yeah, it's it, again. I think the Avengers uh, was a brilliant brilliant film but it seems to have cast this rather disturbing shadow over the rest of comic book movie not all not every single one of them but all the other no, studios the, are now going we want an avengers the x-men films seem to be doing okay under the sh- in the shadow of avengers they seem to be doing okay and spider-man as well but Anything that DC seems to be doing... I don't know about the Spider-Man one. The Spider-Man one no, looks the, like Sony the first, wanting up. The first one was, was okay. It wasn't terrible, but anything. Right. Uh, yeah, it was all right. But what they're doing now is they're chucking in three bad guys uh, yeah. just because they want 
oh, let's get a load of bad guys in. It's, no, it's, well, yeah, anyway, we've, we'll, we'll have plenty of time next summer to bitch about that, I'm sure. Mm. So, I believe that's all for news, and we'll have a bit of a break before we come on to a triple bill of best movie remakes. All movie re-rake, remakes are worth seeing. So, Triple Bill, uh, the, the shortly awaited return after the great success of a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this week is movie remakes worth seeing, uh, with Old Boy, Carrie, both being remade and re-released recently. Uh, so, Owen, why don't you kick us off? Okay, I'm going to get the, the very obvious one out of the way, first of all. <laughs> okay, I, I know, I have picked it. We've talked about it a little bit before the podcast. Um, Dawn of the Dead, Zack Snyder's remake of George A. Romero's absolutely classic zombie film. They are very different, okay? Uh, I understand that, you know, Zack Snyder's zombies aren't George Romero's zombies, which did annoy a, a few people, saying what's the point in remaking Dawn of the Dead if you're not going to mm-hmm. use Romero's zombies. But I, I think it's a really good film actually you know as far as um as remakes go especially for horrors Mm. there's something there's a bit of a stigma about horror film remakes so all three of my choices are horror films i've gone for a sort of a a very specific (laughs) angle (laughs) but you know zach snyder's film it's written by james gunn it's very fast it's very exciting um it's not the uh, a little bit satirical but it's not the slow marauding, satirical, anti-capitalist, consumerist film that the, the original was. But it's 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 good. It's fun. It's um, tense. There's, there's, there's still a lot of the nods to the original film in, you know, the, the characters are all still trapped in um, a shopping centre. And they're either trying to form relations with the people who they're trapped with, um they there's a guy who they introduced different things in this new film uh well i say new it was released about 10 years ago but you know with have either of you two seen the remake yeah no not actually you haven't but you have steve so you know there's there's new things in it isn't there there's like the guy who's um on the roof over the road from the shopping mall yeah and the way they communicate with him and how that changes the the sort of dynamics of the group i Mm. think it's it's got a lot of nice touches in it and um, yeah, it's got a great soundtrack, very of its time. There's a lot of new metal type, <laughs> type music in the background, but it mm. kind of works with the film, actually. So, and I it's just, got I, a great visual style. What, what were you going to say, Steve? I just can't get on with running zombies. I like the film, but I just can't. I like the idea of some kind of thing, bad thing that I can deal with. And when they run, I can't. I mm. can't outrun them. When they when they can, when they just amble about, I'd be fine in in the zombie apocalypse. I could deal with it. No, but Romero zombies, Walking Dead zombies, I'd be fine. And, <laughs> when, when they when they start running, it's when it becomes a problem for me. I see. And I think I can't remember if we've had this conversation before. I'm I'm sure it's a very good film. And actually, I can watch some zombie films with fast-running zombies, and I can see the merits of them. Uh, I'd love 28 Days Later, for example. Um, What, for me, though, is absolutely... What I love about the Romero zombies, and what I love about zombie films that use that kind of shuffling, ambling zombie, uh, and it is the fact that 
like Steve says, like if there's one of them, yeah, I, could, I, I reckon I could take them. Right? And there <laughs> is that, uh, it, you know, that, that idea that it's the hope that kills you. Uh, and yeah, one on one, those zombies are crap, and you could take them down. And it's just that horrific thing that if you get overrun by them, though, and there's no escape from these horrific shambling things, that's what terrifies me the most. Whereas one running zombie terrifies the shit out of me on its own. Um, but yeah, it's just a personal thing. But yeah. I have heard good things about the Dawn of the Dead remake, so I, I, I think yeah, I, I back you on that one, Owen. Cool. Okay. Well, moving swiftly on then. Um, the next film I've gone for, it's one I think that's it almost made people a bit more optimistic about uh, horror remakes when it came out back in 2006, I think it was. Um, the Hills of Eyes. I mean, I do like the original Wes Craven version. I think it's um, a bit camp, perhaps, but it's quite grim at the same time. The remake it very much modernised that. Um, it, 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 <laughs> I suppose it turned it into a, a typical slasher in some respects, and it was around the time that this sort of torture porn stuff started to get popular again. You know, you had the Saw films and uh, you know, uh, Hostel and stuff like that. It's not as bleak as they are, but I think there was something charming about it. Um, it's weird. I agree. I'm smiling here because I agree. It's weird to say there was something charming yeah. about that film, but no, I agree with you. Like, Wes Craven always retains a bit of a sense of humour through everything, and it might be really dark. But you're right. Some of those other torture porn style films are just relentlessly bleak, and it's no. It's like no one had any fun making it. Whereas I think they had a load of fun making the hills. Oh, oh yeah, I think so. You can you can tell just from the way that all the characters are played, especially sort of the. The hillbillies, I think they're called. Yeah. So you know, they're not quite zombies, but you know, they're, they're no. almost they're mutants, mindless. aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, you know, it, 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 a lot of these modern horrors. I keep talking about them. I've ranted about them previously as well. They do tend to blend into one film yeah. in total in my sort of hazy memory of them. Um, but there were sort of distinct scenes within Hills of Ice. So I think it's quite good as an ode to the, the classic of West yeah. Craven film, whilst bringing something new uh, and having its own yeah. identity. It's got, I mean, it's, it is full of shock moments, if you like, there are plenty yeah. of shocking moments in it. Um, but it's really well done, and I think... Yeah, there's there are a few kind of really disturbing moments. There's some kind of scene in the caravan that, mm. yeah, oh, mm. yeah. Um, it, it, Wes Craven directed the remake as well, didn't he? So it's... The... No, I don't think so. Oh, did he not? No, that oh, was okay. so, oh, so he, he did. Did produce it or something then? Okay. He must have had some involvement, but it was directed by um, the guy who did Piranha, the Alexandra oh, okay. Ayo. Ayo, is that his name? Okay. Ayo? Oh, yeah. right, okay. But with Piranha 3D, I kind of enjoyed it. You know, what it was. <laughs> I'm probably in the minority, but yes, okay, yeah, it was yeah. just boobs and fish, but you know. Wow. <laughs> There's a tagline. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my final choice, I'm going to go for another one, which also I think offended a lot of people in being so different. Um, and because the original is considered such a classic, uh, the Halloween remake by Rob Zombie. Because John Carpenter's Halloween is kind of credited, perhaps not with um, inventing slashes as a genre, but for turning them into being considered actually 
legitimate ways of making a film. You know, this yeah. this is a you can make these stories. Sure, they've got the sort of giallos over in Italy, and yeah. you know we've had stuff like Psycho, but this is this is new and it was exciting. What mm-hmm. Rob Zombie did with his film in two thousand seven. Um, he took the idea of uh, a slasher and just turned it in. Okay, there's a thing about Halloween in that you've got Michael Myers and he's got his, his yeah. creepy mask and he's sort of it's sometimes in the bushes and then you you look around the corner of the bushes. Jamie Lee Curtis just pokes around the corner of the bush and he's gone. He's not there anymore. And it's all about him just lurking um, and that ominous music that sort of plays over the top. Oh, that soundtrack. It's yeah. classic. Yeah. Yeah. The remake is just. It's just Rob Zombie all over, really. It's in your face. It's offensive. It tries to just irritate you, and and I I, I kind of respect it for that. I think it, what it does, it does really well. Um, I know it's another of these films that that people tend to hate, and it does polarize opinion a little bit. Um, particularly in in the sense that what made the first Halloween great was you don't really know Michael Myers. He's mm. just this guy who's stalking this woman who's babysitting. And you think, what, what's he going to do to the, these, this woman? Is he going to kill the kids? Is he going to kill her? You know, what? it's just you, you, you've got no identity for him. Um, and one of the things that did offend people a little, a little bit with Michael Myers, uh, Michael Myers film, with <laughs> Rob Zombie's <laughs> film, he uh, tried to turn Michael Myers into um, a human rather than this this faceless you know he's covered in a mask you, you don't know who he is they, he turned him into a person um right. and gave him a backstory you the first half of the film is spent showing you who michael myers is why he is the kind of person that he is um which personally i quite like in this film mm. i think in it wouldn't have worked with the original um no because that's just not the kind of film it was in this, I quite, I quite like that. The second half of the film, yeah, okay, it goes into a little bit of, um, you know, it's just 17-year-old kids being a bit slutty and, you know, uh, just constantly talking about being fucked and sex and all this sort of stuff, which just makes me think that Rob Zombie is a little bit um, misogynistic and stuff. But yeah, as far as it being a modern... I mean, it, that's what it's meant to do. It is meant to cause offence on one level or another, whether you are offended by the levels of gore in it um, or whether it's just the, the the way the characters act. I think that's that's the point. And so, yeah, I think it's worth a watch um, because it's just... It, it revitalises something, it changes something and it gives it a new new identity whilst still being Halloween. So... Oh, yeah. that's an interesting one. I've, I've never expected that. I've I've not seen Rob Zombie's Halloween. I've just not really heard much good in the way. Yeah. Rob Zombie as a director, yeah. full stop. I mean, it's the only thing out of his I've bothered to watch because I know yeah. every, you know people who whose opinion I've trusted have told me to to avoid things like House of Yeah, business. I always think that it's just going to give me a headache. If I watch one of his films, I'm just going to get a headache and get angry. Yeah. Uh, Which, but at yeah, least he's, this he's trying to do different. Yeah, at least it's something different. He's not. He didn't just go out and remake Halloween. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. that would be pointless. Yes. Mm. Oh, thanks, Owen. Okay. Okay, James, what's what's on your list? Okay, I, I've kind of done a bit of an Owen here, not in the sense that I've picked three horror films, but and I might have 
stretch the rules slightly. Um, we'll see. Um, I will say I've got three films here where I haven't actually seen the original. I'm just tell- I'm just telling <laughs> you that the remake is worth watching because it's a brilliant film. Uh, and a couple of them I, I, I've actually chosen because. I didn't even realise there were remakes, and I found that quite interesting when I was going through my my, my research. So the first one I'm going to talk about is uh, an Arnold Schwarzenegger film from 1994, directed by James Cameron, <laughs> True Lies, which I never realised was a French film from three years before called La Totale. What? Uh, directed by Claude Ziddy. Yes, uh, the basic plot is exactly the same. Uh, a wife discovers that her hugely boring husband is, in fact, an international spy. Um, <laughs> and it's just its absolutely uh, just bizarre to find that out because I love True Lies. I think True Lies, for me, is the last great James Cameron film because uh, he went on to do Titanic. and that, well, I say last, it's not like he's got a huge body of work that's gone downhill since. He's just made a couple of films that I don't like since. Um, but True Lies is... Yeah, Arnie gets to be funny. He gets to try out a bit of his comedy side. He gets to try. Out, he gets to do his usual action stuff. Hangs off a plane at one point. Um, it, it, True Lies is such one of those great blockbusters that uh, we've spoken recently, haven't we, about the fact that there doesn't seem to be that kind of blockbuster about anymore. There doesn't seem to be films like True Lies about anymore, which are kind of there is enough action and enough violence and enough swearing to get like adults teenagers and kids all quite excited but at the same time it's still pretty much just about family entertainment as well i'm sure i watched true lies when i was like 13 14 um and it was great fun i'm not Uh, sure how much of it is (laughs) family entertainment i mean um i bet it's a 12 now you know you reckon i'm gonna uh, yeah I'm going to check while you're talking, because I think it's okay, with the stuff with all the dancing and stuff. Does that... I don't know. Anyway, sorry. Carry on. Oh, yeah, the sexy Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm, yeah. yeah. Then you, don't, you don't actually see anything naked there, do you? You don't actually get gratuitous... Bre- it's just her in her underwear. Oh, yeah. Um, and, 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 and do you know what? I think a lot of it's about the tone, rather than... you know. Obviously, there are a load of explosions and people get killed, but that kind of stuff happens in Bond movies as well and stuff like that. And, and I don't mean, like, family entertainment for like little children but i do think it's something that you know uh some teenagers and their parents can sit down and enjoy and mm. it, watch the film it's got some great one-liners um uh, arnie on a truth drug is hilarious um yeah i'm just big fan of true lies and like i say it, there, I, there's a french original which i've got to try and find now and I've got, i really want <laughs> to watch the french original la totale which was only made three years beforehand so cameron must have literally seen it and bought the rights there and then um so that's really interesting but the next one well, just before you move um, on it was a 15 oh, yeah. by the way oh it's a 15 yeah. is it oh, okay anyway. yeah there's some 12s that are, some 12 a's i've seen recently which i've not been happy i, I I'd I'd rather my kids watch True Lies than some of the twelve A's I've seen recently. I'll tell you that. Yeah, like the take. I'd rather they watch True Lies than Taken Two. There you go. Okay. Uh, I've not even seen Taken Two, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> it's not got a nice message for teenagers. Whereas True Lies, bit of fun. God bless America. Um, and you know, be yourself. A <laughs> really important message, I think. Yeah, if yourself um, is a person who kidnaps their wife and holds a hostage and pretends... Yeah, but it's all for jokes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
Second one, interesting. Uh, we've had a, a John Carpenter film that was remade. Um, this is a John Carpenter film that was a remake, and it's one of my favourite films of all time. I was torn. I didn't want to have too many body horror uh, films from the 80s in here, so I had to shun David Cronenberg's The Fly, which is, in itself is a brilliant film, uh, and a remake of a 1950s film, I think it's 50s, uh, for John Carpenter's The Thing. Um, which was made in 1982 and is based on the Howard Hawks and Christian Nimby film The Thing from Another World, which I've never seen. And I probably... I don't, have you seen it, Owen? Yeah, I've got it on DVD. Is it good? Not really. No. The, the, yeah. the, the difference is that The Thing is like a vegetable. It's like a vegetable man. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah, it's no. a bit different. <laughs> yeah. The, the Thing is also on my list, so... Oh, is oh. it? Oh, okay. Oh, let's talk about it. And, and also quite unique in that The Thing has also had a further remake um, mm. two years ago. Well, it's a prequel. It's a prequel. It's a prequel. And uh, to be fair, which te- technically I think makes it a remake of The Thing from another one. I, can't, I couldn't quite work it out. It's a prequel because if you, at the start of The Thing, there's two Norwegian yeah, guys from the, the dog chase. The yeah. dog, which is The Thing. And what what a way for the film to open as well. Yeah, crack. <laughs> and, and and the prequel is is about the Norwegian base rather than the. Ah, oh, that's it. Yeah. That's what's uh, but yeah, Kurt Russell, uh, a you know classic John Carpenter's you know main man here, uh, with an awesome beard, uh, kind of rebellious helicopter pilot who is the only man that can try and. Uh, bring sanity and order to this camp, which is in the Antarctic uh, and is being attacked by a shape shifting alien. It's, uh, it's it's a it's a great film. Um, I love John Carpenter's period in the eighties. I think this is one of the high points of it. And there are, again a few great scenes, a bit like um, Halloween. There are a few great scenes that just really really stick out in the mind and the one with the blood test is just mm. for me one of the great scenes of cinema full stop that just the tension and the fact that these effects were all kind of there and i i miss that and i'm not, I'm not going to moan about cgi and the, things like the, that the whole film's really tense because for a lot of it you don't know what or who the yeah. is so you've got no idea you know one of them is or something yeah. is but you just don't know what you don't know what. Um, it's a film about paranoid men, essentially, rather than yeah. You know, the alien is well, is part is in the background. Paranoia and isolation because they're paranoia, isolation, and, and, and um, whatever and machismo as well. It, it's it's about men together getting paranoid and not trusting each other. Uh, I think it's great, love. and um, it's a great double bill along with um, Ridley Scott's Alien. That that mm-hmm. kind of era, that dark brilliantly realised creature sci-fi. Uh, so yeah, uh, that, that's that's one of my choices and I'm glad Steve went along with me on that one. We had a little bit of crossover. And then finally, uh, a film that I never knew was a remake and it's a really nice, interesting story as well. Uh, Airplane. <laughs> yeah. Uh, originally... Did you did you know that, did you? Because I, I only yeah. found out. It's, it's a remake that's a bit of a twist on a remake though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, basically, uh, Jerry Zucker, Jim, Ab- Jim Abrahams, and David Zucker, when they were making Kentucky Fried Movie, they used to leave their video recorder recording overnight, 
so they could then watch the adverts back in the morning and kind of come up with spoofs and parodies of those adverts for Kentucky Fried Movie, which I think I may have even reviewed on this uh, podcast before. Um, and then one one day when they were going through what they did overnight, they saw this film from 1957 called Zero Hour, which is it stars Sterling Hayden, who was in Stanley Kubrick's um, oh god, I've forgotten it, the the heist one, really early in his career, but I lent him one, The Killing, yes, um, yes, uh, Sterling Hayden, is, star of The Killing, uh, is in this. And it is about, it's a thriller about a passenger flight that turns dangerous when the crew is felled by food poisoning, leaving a traumatised war pilot as the only man on board able to land the plane. And uh, basically Zucker uh, and Abrahams saw that and thought, yeah, we should do a parody of that. Um, But what they did, rather than just do a parody of a disaster movie, they bought the rights to zero hour so they could use scenes and directly lift them and so it's not just the storyline they take scenes they take some dialogue they even take some camera angles and things like that so that they can do it but for laughs uh, and and then ended up making one of the funniest comedies uh, of all time and I think that's absolutely genius and I, I'll be honest, I never knew about that until today <laughs> and now I kind of desperately want to see zero hour as well uh, which is weird, you know, I want to see Airplane without the jokes. It's a bizarre state of affairs. But um, that's why that one is, for me, the number one in terms of my remakes that are worth watching. Because although they took exactly the same film, they did something utterly, utterly different with it. So that that's my final choice. You know, Airplane, I always thought the title was a joke. I always thought, oh, they spell <laughs> Airplane, Airplane. I thought that's very funny. That's actually how they spell it in America, apparently. I found that yes. out this year. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, that was the first time I realised that is that's not a joke. That is literally what what they would call it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just, oh, oh, bless them. <laughs> bless our four or five listeners as well. God bless America. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So my ignorance. <laughs> yeah. James has taken one of my choices. These are two more. First one is Insomnia from two thousand and two. One of the lesser-known Christopher Nolan films it was a remake of a Norwegian film from 1997 of the same name. Hmm. Stars um, Robin Williams in one of his more in one of his serious roles as a uh, as a murderer as a killer, and Al Pacino as a he's an LAPD detective who gets sent up to Alaska to help with a case, um, and he's slowly driven mad partly because um you know he can't sleep why that's why the film's called insomnia because he's got this case to deal with he accidentally shoots his partner early on in the film and kills him and he and he fiddles with the crime scene to make to try and pin it on the suspect that they were chasing um and he also can't sleep because he's in alaska it's perpetual daylight so he can't sleep and it's really one of you two must have seen it I like it. I like it Yeah, I like seeing Robin Williams in one of these roles where he's not, you know, comedy. Yeah, Although, sorry, he generally plays a psycho when, he, when he's doing <laughs> serious, yeah. but he's a good psycho. But yeah, it's, um, it's really creepy. Yeah, I, I think I'm struggling to remember a good Al Pacino film since this. I was well. just thinking the same thing. Yeah, who really a bit like Robert De Niro is just coasting has been coasting for a decade yeah, now. The Nero just seems to be doing 
anything. Yeah. Everything. Uh, well, Al Pacino's advertising Sky and appearing in Adam Sandler comedies. Um, so I've 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 lost all faith in him, but he no. I he's mean, he really is seventy odd years old, though. No. Oh yeah. Oh no, no. I I just wish that he he surely doesn't need the money. I just no. wish that he'd do um like Gene Hackman. Just go. Do you know what? I'm not gonna. Or Jack Nicholson. Just go. I'm done. Yeah, yeah. I'm not just gonna appear in shit for money. And anyway, Insomnia though, great for and I think really quite um overlooked when it comes to Christopher Nolan's works a lot of people I, I know that um uh the it's not the majestic that's a different film the the magic one uh, i'm doing it again the per, i'm going to see now prestige the prestige um yeah that kind of didn't do very well but a lot of people have retrospectively given it almost genius status not i'm a big fan of the prestige as well i'll be honest but uh, Insomnia hasn't had that same level of retrospective ease from people, uh, and I think it deserves it. it rem- in fact, in a lot of ways, like that, it reminds me of David Fincher's The Game as well. It's that kind of one that slipped under the radar for the director. The two, the two main characters, Pacino and Williams, were actually Pacino's really good as a, as a cop whose whose life seems to be falling apart around him, and he can't handle what's going on. Yeah, no, no, he, no. I think it's good. And um, uh, the female, seriously, I'm going to see now. Yeah, she's from, Swank. I know what she's from. She's in uh, Million Dollar Baby and things like that. Yeah, she, yeah. Uh, Hillary Swank. Yes, Hillary Swank. There we go. She's also very good in it as well. It's actually quite a small piece in that sense. There aren't a huge amount of characters, not a huge amount of locations. It's considering it's filmed in the open, the vast open vistas of. Alaska. It's actually a very claustrophobic piece as well um, of that idea, you know, small town America, um, very starkly shot. But no, I, I agree with you, Steve. I think it's a, I think it's a great little film, and I'll, I'll be honest, I've not seen it for a long time. I've got a bit of an itching to watch it now. Uh, and my final film is a remake of a French film titled Trois Hommes et un Coffin from 1985. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> You translate that into English, yeah. you get three men in the cradle. Oh, yeah, I found out about this today as well. <laughs> <laughs> if you translate that into Hollywood, you get three men and a baby. Yeah. That's a great little film as well. Starring I did have this on my list. Starring Tom Selleck, Steve Gutenberg, and Ted Danson. You couldn't get a more 80s film. <laughs> no. Last, I think this is the last good film that Steve Gutenberg did as well. Probably the last good film all three of them did. Ted Danson's doing some good late work at the moment in television. He's doing some great work in television, but no, He's I agree with CSI, you. Yeah. Isn't he? I haven't seen him in CSI. He was in Bored to Death, um, which is really good, and he's in Damages, and he's very good in Damages as well. But no, I've, yeah, I've not seen. Oh, and Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's absolutely brilliant as Ted Danson in Curb Your Enthusiasm as well. But yeah, film-wise, you're right. They've they've all gone off the boil a bit. Haven't they? Definitely. Tom Selleck hasn't done anything good since being in Friends. I don't think. Uh, no, that would that would be correct. Um, yeah, it's a real shame, isn't it? I'm sure it wasn't Steve Gutenberg in pantomime in London or something a couple really? of years ago. Oh dear. I'm sure he's doing panto because uh, it pays well. So yeah, someone got Steve Gutenberg over here to do panto. I'm kind of gutted I didn't go. Uh, but uh, do you know what? Three Men and Baby. It's it's a good fun film. I like it. The, uh, Tom Selleck has been in. What's this? 
three, four, five, six, seven TV movies where he's played oh, the killer yeah. character Jesse Stone in. I don't know what what all this is about. Now, probably it's probably like a modern day style Columbo or something like mm. that. Detective they make TV movies of. That's that's sad. I mean, Blue Blue Bloods is doing really well in America, though. Oh, of course, he's in Blue Bloods, isn't he? Yeah, I no, mean, that's it's, right. It's not like he's dropped off the face of the planet. He's just um, doing a really mediocre TV series that seems to yeah. be quite popular. Anyway, Three Men and a Baby is about three friends who are bachelors and live in New York, and one day a baby turns up, and there's also a, a heroin subplot to the film as well. <laughs> <laughs> God, I forgot about that. <laughs> and there's also a sequel called Three Men and a Little Lady. And get yeah. this, my research there has found out that uh, a, a new sequel is supposedly in, the, in development that will reunite the trio titled Three Men and a Bride. Three Men and... Oh, right, so the, the little lady's getting married. Yeah. Uh, and they're all going to go and give her away. Oh. I hope it happens. I, I hope it happens. I'll, I'll go and see that. I, I would pay. I, I genuinely I, will. I would pay my hard-earned cash to see that. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see Gutenberg back on screen again. Just, just the chap. I bet he still looks as young as he did then as well. Just a story come to a, a natural conclusion. Exactly. It's got to be a trilogy. It's got to be a trilogy. <laughs> it doesn't, does it? <laughs> <laughs> I also, also read as well in my research that apparently in 2011 Adam Sandler was looking to remake it with some of his mates and I just thought oh thank god that oh, happened yeah, oh that would have been horrific fuck off fuck off Sandler no I, I, <laughs> that was that was quite a nice triple bill there uh, oh uh, um, about Adam Sandler I found out today he's the most overpaid uh, actor in Hollywood um, there's a a top ten of the actors who give you the most per dollar spent on their salary um, and the least per dollar spent on, and he for every dollar spent on his salary, his films only earned the studio back three dollars fifty, um, which which I thought was actually that's still a positive thing. I couldn't quite work out. Doesn't how he works. do a lot of his own films though? I mean, a lot of it, the films that he makes are just him and his mates going on holiday. I it's basically in terms of what the studio pay him to do that though. I think uh, him and Catherine Heigl were the two most overpaid uh, actors. Although Nick Cage was in the top ten, that really upset me. Yeah, but... Nick Cage is never overpaid. Knowing. Yeah, Go- yeah. Ghost Rider and Ghost Rider 2. It, yeah, we could go on. Will we won't, because it's Nick Cage. Do, do you know what? Everything else about those films was wrong. There was nothing wrong with <laughs> Nick Cage in those films. Apart from Knowing, which is honestly the worst piece of shit I've ever seen. There we go. Anyway. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's it for, for Triple Bill, and we'll be back after the break with some new release reviews of Frozen, Homefront, and Old Boy. Welcome back, and here's some new release reviews. First up is Homefront, seen by me, produced by Sylvester Stallone. Uh, screenplay by Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> Put that on the poster, seen by Steve, produced by <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. Uh, starring Jason Statham, Jay Franco, uh, Renona Ryder, Kate Bosworth. Here's a clip. Who's watching you, kid? There she all by herself. Just waiting on you to come tuck her sorry ass in and read her a bedtime story. 
kill a bedtime story. Is there an end? That was a clip of Homefront, which, uh, as mentioned, stars Jason Statham. Um, he is a DEA agent who um, crosses a bunch of drug traffickers, goes into hiding, and then they find him. And then they cause him all kinds of problems and try to kidnap his daughter and, and kill him and, and all that kind of thing. Um, not, not really much to say about this. It, it, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's your typical Jason Statham action film. It's not great. It's not terrible. It's enjoyable. There's worse things you can do with that, you know, the amount of time that it goes on for. You won't dislike it if you're, if you like action films like that, if you like stay from films if you like it i mean there's there's no real criticism of the other people in it i mean james franco winona Ryder, and kate bosworth it just kind of it's strange for them to be in this kind of film but they're not bad in it it's just kind of strange for them to turn up in an action you know film of this type see i was really looking forward to it i thought the cast looked great um, like you say, it's odd to see James Franco in a in a film like this. But I, I sort of had and Winona Ryder as well. Yeah, that, that's, that's, <laughs> it is weird. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, I quite like St- Stallone as a director. Now, I think we've seen a couple of his films. He did um, Expendables wasn't great, but you know, Rocky Balboa and Rambo were quite good. Um, and we've talked about well, only recently, I think, about he's on a little bit of. Um, a comeback at the moment and, and doing so. Mm. I know he doesn't star in this, but I thought, you know, considering the form that he's in at the minute, it's probably going to be quite good. It's the state, so he's obviously going to be good as well. He was He's in form at the minute, you know. I thought he was brilliant in Hummingbird um, or Redemption or whatever it was called over here. So, yeah, I'm a little bit... Perhaps surprised is the wrong word. Just a bit disappointed that you didn't enjoy it more. Well, I'm no, myself to compare, but you know, no, it's, it's enjoyable, but it's it's not you know. If you like Jason's Dave Matchin films, you'll like it. If you don't, you won't. But it's, there's nothing wrong with it. But there's just not really much to say about it. Hmm. I mean, there's there's guns, there's explosions, there's people dying, there's fights. They, <laughs> that's pretty much it. Yeah. It may, it makes me sound like I'm being down on the film, and I'm not. But there, there isn't really a lot to say about it. I can't really have a in-depth discussion about the plot and the morals and, <laughs> and the ethics and the and, and the lighting and the direction and everything. It's just that action film where stuff blows up and people shoot people. But it's fun. That's fair enough. Okay. <laughs> Don't know what more you want from me. Owen is next with a review of the remake of Old Boy. Before he does that, here is a clip of it. You read them? You read my letters? You read them right. Who are you? Your friend Chucky called me because you were in really bad shape. Well, I'm all right now, so I can get out of here. No, you're far from all right. What are you doing here? I apologize for reading your letters. You didn't call the police? No, I didn't. Why? I believe you. Why? I uh, believe that you've been locked up for a long time. Okay. Don't touch me. <laughs> what if I thought you knew too much, huh? Reading my letters. 
What if I felt like I needed to kill you right now? Then I suppose I'd be dead. Okay, so that was a clip of the remake of Old Boy. Um, Owen, let's talk about it. Yes. (laughs) Okay. The um, okay, but basically, before I start, there does have to be a little bit of a disclaimer. Um, because it is a remake. We've already done our triple bullet bet remakes. We are aware how they have the potential to offend people sometimes, particularly a film like Old Boy, where the original is... I mean, it's only 10 years old. I know it's a Korean film, so it's in one of them foreign languages that we don't speak over here, but it's it's still co- kind of considered a classic. Um, indeed, I think, James, you love the original Old Boy, don't you? I genuinely love yeah, it. I, it's an absolutely brilliant film. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of Chan-Wook Park, the director. Um, so, yeah, okay. So initially, I, I didn't really know what to expect from a remake, what it was going to do differently. Um, but my disclaimer is actually more around my opinion of it. Um, because I've, <laughs> I've written a load of notes for this review. Okay, after seeing the, after coming out of the cinema yesterday, I thought, right, this is what I thought about the film. I better make sure I've recorded this because there wasn't a lot more to it that I wasn't expecting. It seemed quite similar in a lot of respects to the original. Indeed, I thought some scenes in it were pretty much carbon copies of the uh, original film. So Spike Lee's kind of just not done anything new with it. Um, However, today I have kind of had to revise my opinion a little bit because I did go back and rewatch the original film, the 2003 South Korean version, and I've realised I've made a sort of error of judgment almost because there is a lot different to it. There are a few similarities, which I'll sort of come on to in a minute, um, but, you know, those broader similarities, they were going to be existent regardless but just because of the nature of the story mm. which i will explain in a minute please bear with me i'm not going around in, in the massive circle at the minute but the, the scenes i thought were identical actually they aren't really that much alike anyway um parts of the film the emphasis on both films is slightly different uh particularly with regards to the protagonist and the sort of things he experiences um mainly because more time is spent developing it in one film than it is in the other uh, and so, yeah, in hindsight, the notes that I've written down about old boy, they seem a little bit harsh now, but I'm going to go through them anyway, and then I'm going to correct myself as I go through it. So it's a bit of a long-winded approach, but hopefully you'll sort of understand why as I do it. Right, so, okay, so to start with, what what did I expect from the remake before going in? I kind of honestly maybe thought it would be decent, um, along the same lines as the original, with perhaps a few different alterations here and there and that is what I thought I ended up with I mean the performances um from the characters Josh Brolin who is excellent he plays um a guy called Joe who uh, ends up being quite uh well as the description for my NDB says obsessed with vengeance it sort of overtakes his life after for some reason he's just kidnapped out of the blue he's this obnoxious alcoholic um, loud guy in the early 90s who's really just no, he hasn't got any friends he's really offensive to everyone he knows uh, he just ends up being taken 
just stops the street um, and finds himself, he wakes up and he's in this, this room with no exit. He's just stuck in a room. Um, and he he ends up being stuck in it for 20 years. Never receives an explanation. Um, no contact from anybody. All he gets is food shoved under the door for him to eat. And he's got a TV in his room, which he tries to keep up to date with news. Um, and he it finds out that he's been framed for the murder of his wife. Um, and their, their young daughter is taken away from them. And that's all he knows. Um, so over this 20 years, he turns himself from um, this overweight, um, this drunk man who's constantly drinking. Every time he gets food passed through the door to him, he also gets passed a bottle of vodka. And slowly he just kind of weans himself off it. Um, turns himself into, trains himself, follows all the exercise things that he can find on TV. Uh, turns himself into a bit of a fighter and decides I am going to get revenge on whoever's done this to me. In the original, vengeance is like a main theme, and it's sort of because it's put, the original Old Boy is part of um, a, a, well, it, it wasn't made to be part of a trilogy, but it's dubs as a vengeance trilogy. Yeah. Um, with, along with uh, sympathy for Mister Vengeance and a film called Lady Vengeance. Um, so in this, the themes are still there. It's still got that very similar theme that I mentioned. It's still very much the same film. But the the, the way that it's it's kind of played out is different. So without going into too much detail about what is different, because it's very hard not to spoil anything with Old Boy, the less you know about what's coming, the better. The more you're going <laughs> to yeah. get out of it. Um, but just to say, if you have seen the original, okay, Yes, what you're thinking of, it is still the main bit of this film, just very differently portrayed. There's lots of different ways they go about it. And so from from what I had in my memory of the original, I thought that it was played out exactly the same way. Since rewatching it, no, it's not. So I was wrong on that. If you read any of my tweets or you've seen my review on Letterboxd, <laughs> yeah, I apologise. It wasn't It wasn't all that similar after all. Um, so yeah I can't really talk too much about the story because I don't really want to spoil it for anyone that's just a very dickish thing to do so I'm going to talk in uh, more about sort of the people who are involved particularly Josh Brolin, Brolin. I've already mentioned he's excellent um, perhaps mm, plays the role very differently to Choi Min Sik who um, again is an actor that I've talked about before and various different things like I Saw the Devil he's just fantastic in, in, in that film he's fantastic in the original version of Old Boy but it is a very different way of playing that guy who's who's desperate, this guy who's uh, been locked away from the world and all he knows now is this, this deep revenge that's built up inside of him. Um, but yeah, Bronin, he gets both that uh, obnoxious character I've talked about, the big just utter bell-end character that he plays to start with, uh, and as well as that, he gets this fierce, menacing, uh, hard bastard role spot on perfectly as well i mean it's just a it's, it's the best thing about this film i think is brolin's performance uh support roles you've got elizabeth olsen who is all right she's yeah you know it's a good performance i guess it's not bad uh it's a bit better than average but you've got samuel l jackson who turns up and plays samuel l jackson um <laughs> but weirdly charlotte copley who it's a little bit of flavour of the month, I think, at the minute. He's done really well in Elysium. Obviously, District 9 is his sort of big breakthrough. He's in this as well, and he's very good. It has a very strange accent, 
which I'm not going <laughs> to explain. When you sort of see this film, you'll understand it's a very peculiar accent. Someone described it to me as being like the guy from Crystal Maze. And uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that's kind of how he sounds. But um, yeah, it's great. So yeah, there are things that are replicated. Um, but one of the, the one of the big things that was in the original Old Boy that everyone loves is that sort of side-scrolling, all shot in one take, big fight scene. Um, that is in this. This that when I watched that, I thought this is just why is he? It's just done it exactly the same as it's in the original. Uh, no, actually, it's it's different. It's bigger. It's um, it, 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 perhaps not bolder, but it's it's just there's more like a video game element to that. Um, it goes top me. down. I heard someone say it goes top down scroller rather than side scroller. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so he sort of starts on one level, goes down to the next level, um, and then obviously you have like in the original, there's a scene with the lift and the doors and. So it sort of tries to do a sort of play on that, really. Um, right. I mean, there were a few little nods and winks to the original. There's, you know, the octopus scene in the original is quite a famous one as well. In this, there's just sort of... It, it doesn't go that far at all, ever. But it's, there's just sort of a, hey, look, there's an octopus in the restaurant. Isn't that quite cool? So, you know, there's lots of little nods and winks, if you like. One thing that really annoyed me with this... Well, two things that really annoy me. Firstly, the music in it is just shit. It's awful. No. It's just like made for TV levels of background music. I just don't understand why they've done it. It's not tense. It doesn't add anything. I don't know whether they've tried to kind of make it sound similar to the original, but it just doesn't. Whereas the original has that grand operatic yeah. um, classical score, which is just fantastically used. But it, yeah, in this it's not. The other thing that annoyed me is the, the, the surprise um, from the original is a complete surprise comes out of nowhere and it just yeah. whoa oh that, wow kicks you in the stomach does, yeah. yeah in this you see it coming a mile off it's just so telegraphed well before right. anything happens just because of the way the story's done whether that's on purpose because they know everyone's already aware of what the twist is and you know or twist you know what everyone knows what's going to happen in the end because they've seen the original and so they've just gone well we just won't main that the main that's, focus. That's not what the what I seem to get from Twitter. That I because I, I follow old boy. Uh, I followed their Twitter account and they were retweeting people who'd seen the film. And it seemed to be that loads of these people just hadn't seen the original film. Okay. No, I never saw the twist coming and stuff like that. And really? I do think I think ninety percent of the people going to see this film at least have not seen the original. Right. Okay. Well, it's not getting uh, that many views, though, is it? I mean, it's not doing too well in the box office. It's not. No, it's not doing too. It's not doing horrendously bad, but it's not doing great, and it's not done well critically either. And uh, yeah, again, it's not been. Com- it's not a complete bomb. It just, people have just been a bit. Uh, well, it's got like, five like, point. It's not even five point. Four point nine on IMDb. Yeah, I, I know it's been for a few days, but yeah, that's that's. That's quite low, um, but there's there's probably more of a backlash against it because it is a remake of a very popular film amongst certain film circles. It's it's a hugely popular film amongst people who like to talk about film online, but in terms of I think your your multiplex audiences, I don't think many of them yeah. will have seen Old Boy, and that's not from a superior point of view. It's just speaking to people. I just don't think many of them will have seen Old Boy. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it isn't a film for everyone anyway. No, no. <laughs> Even no. people who do like cinema, some of them would still be turned off by, <laughs> by all yeah. Life. But So, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really want to spend that long talking about it because it is just a remake and we, as people who talk about films online, kind of know about yeah. the original anyway. And I'm presuming most of the people who listen to us talk and blabber on about films will understand what it's about anyway. So, I'm going to just... One question I have got, go for it, yeah. Though. It's about the tone of it, because obviously Old Boy feels very yeah. much of where it's from. It feels like a Korean film. If, uh, that, I think that, for me, that's part of the reason that I, I love it so much, is because it's really out there and completely unrealistic, but it, it's almost like a you know maybe a manga cartoon. Uh, it, wasn't it based originally on a graphic novel or something yeah, like that? Yeah, I'm not sure but, yeah, whether it's, it's another one of these where they've released the graphic uh, the manga just uh, okay. to build the popularity so they can make the film. I don't know. Okay, Either way, it, it feels very much of its culture. Um, where does Old Boy fit into that? Because obviously, Old Boy is an American film with American people, and it's ta- and quite often these remakes of Korean and Japanese films don't work because they come from such a culture, such a different culture that just transporting it to America it ends up making no sense. That happened a bit with The Ring. Um, I've certainly seen a Dark Water, and you know. Because it comes from such a different place, just transporting the location just feels unnatural. How does it feel with this film? How does it feel? Yeah, okay, that is quite a good question. I suppose um, if you didn't know it was a Korean revenge thriller that's uh, revenge thriller that's been remade, you would probably think this is really out there for an American film. I mean, it doesn't yeah. hold back on the violence much at all. It's, I mean, it is an 18 certificate and fully deserves an 18 certificate. Doesn't push some of the things as hard as the uh, Korean version does, which yeah. I think whether that is a cultural sort of side of it, I don't know. So there's like implied rape elements, I guess, mm. from the first film. In this, it's not quite the same, but there are... Um, See, now I can't really talk about it. No, okay, I'll just <laughs> talk about the overall tone. I was surprised at how daft I found this story in this. Right. Because in the original, the first time I watched it, I thought, this is, this is engrossing, I can't stop watching this. Yeah. This is just hooked me in. Whereas there were times when I was watching the American version, and I kept going, was, was it really that daft? Was it really that silly? Um, yeah. And that, okay. that, all I yeah. can ascribe that to is the fact that it's Americanized. Yeah, and I, I think sometimes you let if if you're not if you don't have that kind of that huge experience of a culture, I think you let it get away with things a little bit more. So yeah. it's possible the original is completely daft, but because well, you know, I don't know Korean culture very well, I'm like, do you know what? It's your kind of almost a when in Rome, right? Mm-hmm. If that if that's what your films are like, brilliant, I'm going with it. Whereas. Yeah, we've got our own cinematic language from Hollywood, and that th- yeah. this, like you say, this doesn't seem like the type of film that Hollywood would make. No, I mean that that's the thing. Hollywood, if someone took the original script to Hollywood, they would never have gone. Yeah, we're making never this. They've waited years. for it to be like a popular, well, at, at least successful film in Korea, and they've then remade it. But if it had gone straight to Hollywood, no one would have made it in Hollywood. No, not at all. There's not a yeah. chance in hell. Anyone would have yeah. looked at that and gone, you cannot put that into a film in the United States. Because yeah. it's, well, yeah, I mean, it's just very yeah. much um, a Korean revenge film yeah. story, you know. <laughs> but, and, you know, uh, yeah, but it's 
to, I, I quite liked it. I still think it was quite good. I have sort of said it's a bit silly and, and there were things that annoyed me. It's not quite as pointless a remake as something like Carrie, which was yeah. uh, itself a good film. It was quite well made, well acted, story was quite good, but it was just a carbon copy of the original. Whereas this, I did originally think it's just mostly the same. Um, but like I say, in hindsight now, it is different. There are different things to it. So there's stuff like um, his imprisonment. If that's an aspect of the original you quite like, then it's done with, to a lot more effect in in the remake. So, you know, it, it tries to emphasise different points while still yeah. being the same kind of story. So, yeah. For me, I'd say probably about... If I'm going to rate a film, I know it's very arbitrary and, you, you know, no one really knows how I judge a film, I would say it's about a 7 out of 10. Okay. Whereas the original's an 8. Perhaps nine. Okay. And now for something completely different. <laughs> yeah. James pretty much. has been to see Frozen. Uh, I believe we now have a clip for that. There was a clip of Frozen. Um, James, tell us about that. I believe it's a Disney film. Yes, um, it is a a Disney film. The second uh, Disney animation film this year after Wreck-It Ralph back in February. Um, And I have to say, Disney continuing on an upward slope, on an upwards curve. It's a a brilliant film. Really, really enjoyed it. there's a lot of talk about it being the best Disney film since The Lion King, and I can't disagree with that. Uh, I think we talk a lot about that renaissance, uh, that Disney renaissance era, where I think you know the four big films from that era of uh, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, and Aladdin really kind of put Disney back on the map after over a decade of basically turning out crap. Um, and then they they kind of went a bit off the boil, and DreamWorks came along, came along with Shrek and uh, How to Train Your Dragon. Uh, other animation studios got involved. Um, Despicable Me. I can't remember who's made Despicable Me, but yeah, you know, I think that's Sony, isn't it? Um, yeah. E- either way, other people got involved, and did, and obviously Pixar uh, entered the picture and became the the go to guys for brilliant brilliant animation. But we, we've already had this conversation about Pixar over a number of podcasts about the declining quality of their films. And even though uh, Brave I quite enjoyed last year. I know, Owen, you enjoyed Brave as well, mm, didn't you? Yeah. But it wasn't quite at their level that we had expected uh, from some of their early you know, films like Wall-E or Up or the Toy Story series and things like that. Monsters University was a disappointment to me this year. Uh, and Disney seemed to be doing... Uh, planes aside uh seem to be doing these things but what i will say about frozen what's different from a lot of the other animations that i've seen recently is it actually harks back to that renaissance era disney it's a it's a full-blown musical um but a really 
wonderfully well-realized musical. It actually feels very similar in tone to Beauty and the Beast and The Little Mermaid, but owes some nods to modern musicals like uh, Wicked. Now, the, the story itself, and again, just goes to show you, Disney going a little bit back to their roots, it's based on a Hans Christian Andersen uh, story, uh, The Snow Queen. Um, and this film, because I've not, I don't really know the original story that well, so I'll just describe this film. Uh, two sisters um, grow up, one, uh, they're both princesses of a faraway kingdom, but one of them is cursed with being unable to control um, ice and snow. Basically, she can summon up ice and snow at will, and she can't control it. It reminds me a little bit, actually, of that, that female character in X-Men who can't touch people because she might kill them. What's her name again? Someone? Uh, Rogue. Rogue, yeah. A little bit like that, basically. It's this. Uh, so one princess has to nearly kills her sister when she's young. And so the family hide her away, the king and queen hide her away. And so the sisters grow apart because she, she can't play with the sister anymore. And she can't remember why she can't because some trolls took her memories away. It's a bit weird, that bit, but go with it. Um, but then really early on, the parents go away on a voyage and die. And so the two sisters are left to run the kingdom. Um, but on... The older sister with uh, the ice curse on her coronation all kicks off and everyone thinks she's a sorcerer and she runs off. But as she runs off in her temper, she brings eternal winter to the kingdom. And so the younger sister called Anna, who's played by Kristen Bell, who was in Veronica Mars and was Sarah Marshall in Forgetting Sarah Marshall and a number of other things. She uh, decides to go and reach out to her sister. Uh, and it's... And, What's really interesting, this is a, this is a story about two sisters, two princesses, two sisters. The other, uh, the older sister, Elsa, is actually played by uh, Idina Menzel, who is uh, a Broadway star herself. Uh, she originated um, the role of Elspeth in Wicked. She's also been a Disney princess because she was in Enchanted as well. The, not the Amy Adams character, but uh, the other character who becomes a princess in that one. So it's got really, really good... Broadway musical credentials. Um, it's written by the people who did the music for Enchanted. Uh, not Enchanted, no, sorry, not Enchanted. Um, Tangled, the Disney Rapunzel story that was out a couple of years ago. Uh, it's got a few other kind of Broadway stars in there. Josh Gad is in there as a bit of comic relief as this um, snowman, which is the kind of the character that's a nod to the younger kids in there. But it's done really nicely. There's a lot of charm, there's a lot of humour in there. It looks absolutely fantastic. It's still a little bit weird watching a traditional Disney film at heart, which is what it is. It's a very traditional Disney film at heart with computer generated characters rather than hand drawn or, or or what appeared to be kind of hand drawn characters. And that takes a little bit of getting used to. The first 20 minutes or so of setting the scene and the story is a little bit like, you know, I, I couldn't make my mind up on it. Um, but once the story takes off, it's a wonderfully charming, entertaining and old, a real family film. I can see kids of five loving it. I really enjoyed it. It does remind me of those timeless films like Lion King, like Beauty and the Beast, which are just great stories that are told well and look brilliant. And the songs are fantastic. I, I can't get the songs out of my head. A really, really good score, but some really, really good musical elements here. Um, I, the clip that we that we played is uh, the kind of the big highlight song 
Uh, it's a clip uh, called Let It Go, which I, which will win the Oscar for Best Song next year. Ga- absolutely guaranteed. It's a, an absolute barnstormer of a track. Um, I, I, there's some lovely humour in it, and it's never quite up there with the level of Toy Story or The Incredibles. You know, th- those very clever scripts, because it's not trying to be too knowing. There's hardly any of that... I've seen it quite recently, that knowing comedy where here's a joke for the adults and stuff like that, which is fine. This doesn't need to have the jokes for the adults. The jokes are just genuinely funny, which everyone will enjoy. Um, I'm just so happy to see a good animation come out. I know Owen did not like Wreck-It Ralph earlier this year. I quite liked Wreck-It Ralph. Um, It didn't live up... I didn't live up to my expectations, though. I wanted it. It should have been better. I still enjoyed it, but it should have been better. This is the best animation I've seen for a good few years now. It's one of my favourite films of the year. Uh, <laughs> it's under 90 minutes long. There's um, there's a, a really old school... You know how Disney have their shorts beforehand as well? A really old school um, kind of Steamboat Willie, Mickey Mouse style... Uh, inspired short, which is really, really nice at the beginning as well. Um, but no, I, 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 it's difficult for me to say too much about a classic, uh, a, a new classic Disney film. It, it, it doesn't do anything groundbreaking. Um, it doesn't do anything out of the ordinary. And you've seen something like it a hundred times before, but those hundred times before it worked. Uh, and this works. Yeah, it, it, it's charming. It's funny and it looks fantastic, and it will have you humming the soundtrack as you leave. Uh, you know, sometimes that's all I want from a film, especially coming up to Christmas time. Um, and it, it was really interesting as well that it is two female leads, and it's not something I have noticed in animations recently. Is quite often okay, right? Okay, they think we've got to have a female lead. Well, let's make her as tomboy as possible, as if mm. that's some kind of feminist thing. And, there is an argument to go, yeah, you know, girls don't have to be all girly and frilly and things like that, but they also don't have to act like boys either. And uh, there, there's a, there, you can have a happy medium where girls can be girls and still be strong feminine central characters, and that's actually what you've got here. You've got two strong feminine central characters. Um, the story itself is about sisters. And there are some love interests going on, but they're almost secondary to the plot of two sisters wanting to reconnect. Um, and it's really interesting to see that we've got some good, strong female voices out there. It's co-directed uh, by Chris Buck and Jennifer Lee. Uh, Jennifer Lee, it's her first directorial position. She actually wrote the script for Wreck-It Ralph, and they then got her involved in this, and then she started co-directing this as well. And what I do find really interesting, because I remember when Pixar were making Brave, there was a big decision at one point, because the original director of Brave was basically kicked off the film, and she wanted it to be a lot of snow and ice, and they were like, no, that's too monochrome, needs to have more green and stuff like that. This film is all snow and ice, and I don't know if there was a decision made where they went, we've already, I know Disney and Pixar are separate entities in one form, but at the same time, there's a lot of similar staff working across both studios, and Disney ultimately own Pixar, and I can't help now thinking that because this was in development, that maybe they changed Brave from being all snow and ice because they already had a film coming out the following year which was about snow and ice. So that that's something that just came to me afterwards. Um, 
the score is really good, as well as the song score's really good. It's really nice. Um, the guy who scored the music for Paper Man, that lovely short mm. film that made me cry before Brave, um, he he's he got they asked him to do the music for this, and that's that's really nice that they've got new talent coming through, proving themselves on the shorts, and then getting a chance to do something for a feature. So that that's like the old Liverpool boot room or something like that, <laughs> you know, promoting from within. Really like it, and. It's really nice, like I say, to see an animation that isn't relying on celebrity voices. It's just going back to basics, and it's really, really well done. And anyone who's got children, or anyone who wants just a nice, heartwarming film to go and see over Christmas, I, I cannot recommend this highly enough. Okay, uh, that is all then for our new release uh, reviews. One more quick break, and we'll be back with some recommendations for the week ahead. So, some uh, films for you to watch this week, starting off with something on telly for you. There isn't much on telly um, in the next seven days or so. You always say that, Steve. You always find something. There isn't, though. There's a lot lot of just repeats. A lot of stuff just gets repeated constantly on terrestrial TV channels. Especially like About a Boy on ITV2 every day. Especially ITV2 and E4. Yeah. Things ad nauseum. I have found a good World War Two film for you from 1967, Dirty Dozen, at oh, nice. five yeah. o'clock on Five USA on Saturday. Nice. Can't go Perfect wrong. Perfect time for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Owen, what are you telling people to watch? Um, going to be very boring because I've already talked about it. But Old Boy, the uh, original by Park Chan Wook. Is on Film 4 on Friday at 1.30am, but it's also on Netflix and it's on The Film Instant, so you just got it covered across all bases there, so there's no excuse. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. And uh, James? Uh, I've got one that I'm definitely not right. I'm going back to the shops again. It's getting near Christmas. You want to go out and buy some new DVDs or Blu-rays. Uh, and there's a there's two re-releases coming out on Monday. Uh, the first one is, and I don't know how this works, um, you can get Predator, the Arnie classic, uh, one of the finest films of the 80s, one of the finest films ever made, let's be honest. Mm. Uh, but it's it's out on Blu-ray in 3D. Um, it'll be that horrific post-production 3D. Oh dear. But you can buy it with a Predator head for £90. Um, but I, I wouldn't recommend that. What I would recommend um, is the 25th anniversary remastered edition on Blu-ray of Cinema Paradiso uh, is being released on Monday. It's also being got a limited re-release in cinemas as well, and if you get a chance to watch this, oh, it's such a beautiful, beautiful film about a young lad growing up in rural Italy in the, the very small-town cinema, and it's just a story of a young boy and how he discovers his love of the cinema it's a a wonderfully heart beautiful heartwarming film uh fantastic soundtrack and i i've not seen the remastered print but the original film looked gorgeous so in blu-ray it's going to look even better so that's my recommendation either go and see it on the big screen if you can find it anywhere near you or get hold of that on blu-ray excellent um and that is all for 
uh, this week's podcast. Next week, we'll be back with our big main release review of The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smaug, among other things. Um, are we doing the Paul Verhoeven special? That'll be in a separate podcast. At some point, we've got uh, we're inducting Paul Verhoeven into our, our corridor of praise. We just need to get all the pieces together. Uh, but yeah, I think it's going to be the Hobbit next week, and then it, that's probably our last podcast before our end of year special. Keep an eye out on the website so you can vote in the uh, second annual Failed Critics Awards as well. There you go, and you can find the website at the usual place. Um, thanks to everyone who's contributed to this podcast, everyone who listened, and we'll be back roughly the same time next week. The failed critics are James Diamond, Steve Norman, and Owen Hughes, with original music provided by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, at Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritics, and on Twitter at, at failedcritics. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So I'm assuming it's going to be a British actor. Is it? Is it too obvious to say someone like Hugh Laurie? I can't see him being in some cheap, tacky cheap horror, horror film. But no, no, it's not Hugh Laurie. Mm. It's not Hugh Laurie. Um, I've seen that one with Stephen Fry. One, I just can't think. Oh, interesting. Okay, 2004, uh, the rom-com Wimbledon. Steve. Yes. I don't know why I've seen that as well. Or I've seen bits, a bit of it. Is it James McAvoy? Yes! Oh, gosh. <laughs> you have nailed that, Sunshine. And then I was going to... Then it was going to start getting a bit more obvious because then he actually started to... He was in the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe as Mr. Tumnus. And then we were going to hit Last King of Scotland and Start of a Ten and Atonement um, where he took off. So, yeah. Um, so Steve pulled it back to one all. I was just, I just remember. I'm sure I've seen that Stephen Fry directed one. His name I can't remember already. And yeah, I, I, I know I've seen like half of Wimbledon before thinking, why have I even watched half of this shite? <laughs> I remember that as well. Yeah. So no, excellent work, Steve. Um, the reason I went for him is it links into one of our first news stories as well. So, so I actually, I'm really trying to be a little bit more professional this week. <laughs> Well, on that note, here is the news. Okay. So, um, yeah, for, uh, we spoke either last week or the week before about the nominations for the British Independent Film Awards. Well, they took place in some swanky London, uh, Shoreditch or something, you know, some trendy London bastard place on Sunday. And 
some really interesting ones. I'm really, really pleased, especially in the acting categories. And the first one I want to talk about is that James McAvoy won Best Actor for Filth, which I'm really, really pleased about. I don't know if he'll get any of the more prestigious, bigger awards. He might not even get nominated. But the fact that he, he won this award... Fulfill. I'm I'm really really pleased because he's absolutely fantastic in that. Other interesting ones: Lindsay Duncan for Lair Weekend mm-hmm. uh, won Best Actress. I've really enjoyed that. Really really pleased. And Imogen Poots for The Look of Love won Best Supporting Actress. I was going to highlight that one as well. I think that's really well yeah. deserved. She was she was really yeah. good in that. She was fantastic in that. I've seen her in a few things. She was great in Filth. She was also the only good thing in um, A Late Quartet, which also had Philip Seymour Hoffman. And Christopher Walken, who actually, no, to be fair, Christopher Walken was good in it. It was just a really boring film. Um, Best Director, and I think Best Film as well, went to Metro Manila, uh, which I've still not seen and still know very, very little about. Apologies for my ignorance there. Um, But I I keep hearing people go, oh, yeah, Metro Manila's really good. But uh, do you know anything about it, Owen? Not really, no. I know it's got a massive reputation already, but I I haven't seen it. Uh, The other... Uh, award I was very very happy about was that um, best international independent film went to Blue is the Warmest Colour so again really really happy about that and best documentary went to one of the documentaries that Steve hadn't seen <laughs> can you believe it it went to Pussy Riot A Punk Prayer um, but all in all uh, yeah a, a, a pleasing set of results from the Moe British Independent Film Awards um, and yeah it just goes to show there's some cracking stuff out there if you can actually get your local cinema to put it on in the first place. Or in the case of the documentaries, watch Storyville on BBC Four. Exactly. BBC Riot was not there, yeah. It was, yeah. Uh, yeah, BBC Four and Netflix seem to be the home mm. of documentaries, so that, that's a good thing. Um, other big bit of news this week is Disney taking another step to trying to own all the films. Um, not content with owning Lego, uh, all the good Marvel stuff. Star Wars, obviously. Um, Disney have now bought the rights to any future Indiana Jones film. And you can't help but think, if Disney have paid a huge amount for the rights to any future Indiana Jones film, they're not going to leave that one sat on the shelf, are they? Disney have just done, if you're a Football Manager fan, taking a team from the Vauxhall Conference and winning the Champions League five years in a row. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or, or they're, or they're doing a PSG and they're just buying mm. up every single <laughs> kind of big marquee well, name. They're, 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 they're doing what Chelsea and Man City done when they first got money and just buying every player so no one else can buy them. Yeah, I'm waiting for their film version of Robinho or something like that. I'm waiting for them to really kind of splash a load of money on a terrible franchise. But um, yeah, just because someone else is sniffing around it. Yeah, <laughs> Sony Pictures are they sniffing go, around Aquaman. Buy the rights to look who's talking. Yeah, just in case someone else wants to remake it. It's like... Just in case. <laughs> yeah. Um, what I did find interesting is in one of these um, deals, and it was to do with I think it was to do with Disney and Marvel. It was the Iron Man deal. That's it. Um, they bought the rights, the future rights to Iron Man. This was about a year ago, and part of that deal was, I think it was Paramount Pictures, got the rights to any future Friday the 13th and South Park movies as well. 
um, which made everyone think, oh, does that mean there might be a South Park, another South Park movie? And does that mean there'll probably be more terrible Friday the 13th movies as well? But it is weird, it is weird how they kind of like chuck these things out. It's quite interesting. It's, it's in more a, weird if you go into the, the deals they've got between superheroes and who can appear in which studios, films, mm-hmm. and they're yeah. also starting to talk now. Um, Sony are starting to talk apparently with Disney about getting Spider-Man into the into the you know into a oh really thing because oh, Sony Sony, Sony realised if they manage, if Sony do that it will be massive for Spider-Man. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, I, I have interest. Has there been a has there been a Lego Indiana Jones I think game? That has hasn't mm, Because I, I did notice when I saw the because obviously. Disney have got the rights to Lego film, which is coming out next year. It and looks, looks quite really good from the trailer. I, I really like the look of it. And I love yeah. the fact that because they've got these Marvel rights, they're able to just have Batman. Uh, they've, they've got Batman in their Batman? Uh, film. Yeah. They've well, got, he's they've not got Marvel. Lego. So... Oh, no, no, no. Not, no, they've got, no, they've got Marvel and they've got DC as well then. Because they've... Batman is... Batman, sorry, yeah, no, you're exactly right. He's DC, isn't Batman it? Batman and Wonder Woman are in the Lego movie. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Which... Which which is now really that's really confusing me because that means they're crossing the comic beams there. Crossing the streams. That's scary. They're crossing the streams, aren't they? That's scary. That is. But yeah, of course they've got Batman in that. Um, it does make me wonder if I, it makes me wonder if they could just like get five of their franchises in one film. I I, th- I think it's it could happen and it will be horrific. <laughs> I, I, just, I just really I hope Disney know what they're doing that's all that's all I worry well they did and, uh, stuff like um, the Kingdom Hearts game I know it's not the same medium or anything but that sort of I, I never played it myself but that blended all their Disney characters with um, is it Final Fantasy characters and something okay. else so you know they've done it quite successfully previously yeah. Um, yeah. and you know of course the Lego games are always fun and I'm yeah. sure that it'll be much better than that awful and they can't Lego really cartoon that's like Star Wars no. Oh right, oh yeah. yeah. I, I I just can't help thinking if they are going to do another Indiana Jones, at least it surely can't be as bad as the last well, one. I mean, what, so. where can where can you go with Indiana Jones going forward? I mean, because Re- reboots probably reboot it will be reboot, yeah, won't it? Has it? to be because like young Indiana Jones in, in Star in Star Wars, you can have Harrison Ford playing Han Solo, yeah. and he can just sit behind yeah. sit behind the steering wheel of his spaceship. He doesn't have to run around and everything like that. And he can still be Han Solo, but you can't really have him being Indiana Jones. He's like quite old now. He can't be right yeah. And then if you don't reboot it, then you just mean you've got to get Shia LaBeouf back as his son. What? Oh Jesus! Why would you, why <laughs> yeah. you spend all that money on buying a series of excellent films? Uh, I think it's the reboot. I think you're exact. I think Owen's hit the nail on the head there. It's the reboot. It's the origin story. Um, oh, thinking of reboots then. Yes. What about if yes. Oh, them? look at that. But, well, I was going to say, hopefully they could buy Die Hard if they're going to reboot something and just make sure that it just stays finished with Die Hard 5 because that was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So just, just buy, buy the rights to kill we've, it. We've all yeah. been through my idea. <laughs> to euthanize yeah. But a, not, a, a nicer segue, of course, as James was yeah. just leading to, is the reboot of Godzilla. Yeah. The trailers come out today, I think, or it will be yeah. Tuesday for whenever anyone's listened to. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we saw it today, didn't we? Yeah. Yes. And have you seen it, Steve? I've seen the trailer. You seen the trailer? Yeah. It's sexy, isn't it? Looks good. Damn good looking trailer. Broderick, no Broderick in sight. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no,
Yeah, no, I no, I think it looks I, no Jamiroquai on the soundtrack. No, that's right. <laughs> now, no, um, trailers can be misleading. Um, I thought Pacific Rim was decent, but the trailer looked amazing. Um, yeah, there, sometimes it fall falls apart there, but oh, I will say I'm excited. Um, and they look like they've got the tone right, and yeah, it it looks. It looks awesome, doesn't it? it does. Yeah, looks really good. Um, Brian Cranston as well was in it, and now I'm sort of turned on to him. From <laughs> breaking Bad. I'm just looking at it. <laughs> so fingers crossed for his performance. But yeah, the trailer looks yeah. looks fantastic. It, you're right; they've got the look right. I'm really pleased they've got the sound right as well. Yeah. Because that yeah. Godzilla blood curdling scream is just yeah. yeah. They've they've got that just pitch perfect. I think so. Yeah. I'm, no, that really what was that, Steve? When's it out? When's it released? It's out next June, I think, isn't it? Or May, May or June time. So it's uh, it's one of the big kind of early summer 2014 marquee pictures. Um, around the same time as uh, Jupiter Ascending, which the trailer for that was also out this week, and that that looks very Wachowski, and I'm I'm also very excited about that as well. I don't know if either of you have had the chance to see the trailer for that yet. Not yet. No. No. Oh, no, no, oh, no. Uh, Sean Bean is big in it, um, and Mila Kunis, and it's it's the Wachowskis doing some weird shit again. And yeah, I can't having having seen them back on form and doing some awesome work in sci-fi and Cloud Atlas. I'm very very excited for that as well. So there's some good stuff coming up next summer already. And uh, of course the suit, uh, the Spider-Man trailer was out as well, um, but it looked a bit too much like a computer game for me. Well, I don't know. We'll see how that one goes. Mm. But yeah, the Spider-Man thing though—they're just cramming loads of villains in again. I'm not going to go on about it, but that's yeah. basically you hate to kill a franchise. Yeah, that just... happened in Spider-Man Three, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And you know, X-Men: Last Stand and all that—they're yeah. just throwing in loads of characters because they've got the rights to them, and it just ends up being yeah. a big. You know, there's not enough time to dedicate to anyone. It's just one long montage, and it's just. I yeah. think while we're on superheroes, just quickly, I think. Um... DC and and you know over at that and they've confirmed now as well as Wonder Woman appearing in Batman versus Superman the Flash yeah. in it as well. Yeah. Oh, and um, uh, Gal Gadot has been cast as Wonder Woman, which I'm mm. quite excited about because I really liked her from the most recent Fast and Furious films. I thought she was actually quite a graceful presence in those films. I I think she's got the look. Um, but yeah, it's it, again. I think the Avengers uh, was a brilliant brilliant film but it seems to have cast this rather disturbing shadow over the rest of comic book movies not all not every single one of them but all the other no, studios a, are now going we want an avengers the x-men films seem to be doing okay under the sh- in the shadow of avengers they seem to be doing okay and spider-man as well but Anything that DC seems to be doing is... I don't know about the Spider-Man one. The Spider-Man one no, looks the, like Sony first, wanting up. The first one was, was okay. It wasn't terrible, but anything. Right. Uh, yeah, it was all right. But what they're doing now is they're chucking in three bad guys uh, yeah. just because they want... Oh, let's get a load of bad guys in. It's, no, it's... Uh, yeah, anyway, we've, we'll, we'll have plenty of time next summer to bitch about that, I'm sure. <laughs> so, I believe that's all for news. And... We'll have a bit of a break before we come on to a triple bill of best movie remakes. All movie remakes are worth seeing. So, triple bill. 
the, the shortly awaited return after the great success of a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this week is movie remakes worth seeing, uh, with Old Boy, Carrie both being remade and re-released recently. Uh, so, Owen, why don't you kick us off? Okay, I'm going to get the, the very obvious one out of the way, first of all. <laughs> okay, I, I know, I have picked it. We've talked about it a little bit before the podcast. Um, Dawn of the Dead, Zack Snyder's remake of George A. Romero's absolutely classic zombie film. They are very different, okay? I, I understand that, you know, Zack Snyder's zombies aren't George Romero zombies, which did annoy a few people saying what's the point in remaking Dawn of the Dead if you're not going to mm-hmm. use Romero's zombies but I think it's a really good film actually you know as far as um, as remakes go especially for horrors mm. there's something there's a bit of a stigma about horror film remakes so all three of my choices are horror films I've gone for a sort of a, a very specific <laughs> angle <laughs> but you know Zack Snyder's film it's written by James Gunn it's very fast it's very exciting um it's not the uh, a little bit satirical but it's not the slow marauding satirical anti-capitalist consumerist film that the, the original was but it's 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 good it's fun it's um tense there's there's, there's still a lot of the nods to the original film in you know, the, the characters are all still trapped in um, a shopping centre. And they're either trying to form relations with the people who they're trapped with. Um, they There's a guy who... They introduced different things in, in this new film. Uh, well, I say new. It was released about ten years ago. But, you know, was, have either of you two seen the remake? Yeah. No, I've not, actually. You haven't, but you have, Steve. So, you know, there's, there's new things in it, isn't there? There's, like, the guy who's um, on the roof over the road from the shopping mall. Yeah. And the way they communicate with them and how that changes the, the sort of dynamics of the group. I mm. think it's it's got a lot of nice touches in it. And, um, yeah, it's got a great soundtrack, very of its time. There's a lot of new metal type <laughs> music in the background. But it mm. kind of works with the film, actually. So, and I it's just, got I, a great visual style. What, what were you going to say, Steve? I just can't get on with running zombies. I like the film, but I just can't. I like the idea of some kind of thing bad thing that i can deal with and when they run i can't i mm. can't outrun them when they when they can when they just amble about i'd be fine in in the zombie apocalypse i could deal with it no but romero zombies walking dead zombie i'd be fine <laughs> and, and when they when they start running it's when it becomes a problem for me i see and I think I can't remember if we've had this conversation before. I'm I'm sure it's a very good film. And actually, I can watch some zombie films with fast running zombies, and I can see the merits of them. Uh, I'd I'd love Twenty Eight Days Later, for example. Um, What for me though is absolute. What I love about the Romero zombies, and what I love about zombie films that use that kind of shuffling, ambling zombie, uh, and it is the fact that. Like Steve says, like if there's one of them, yeah, I, could, I, I reckon I could take them. Right? And there is that, uh, it, you know, that, that idea that it's the hope that kills you. Uh, and yeah, one on one, those zombies are crap, and you could take them down. And it's just that horrific thing that if you get overrun by them, though, and there's no escape from these horrific shambling things, that's what terrifies me the most. Whereas one running zombie terrifies the shit out of me on its own. Um, but 
Yeah, it's just a personal thing. But yeah. I have heard good things about the Dawn of the Dead remake. So I, I, I think, yeah, I'll, I'll back you on that one, Owen. Cool. Okay. Well, moving swiftly on then. Um, the next film I've gone for, it's one I think that's it almost made people a bit more optimistic about uh, horror remakes when it came out back in 2006, I think it was. Um, the Hills of Eyes. I mean, I do like the original Wes Craven version. I think it's um, a bit camp, perhaps, but it's quite grim at the same time. The remake it very much modernised that. Um, it, 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 <laughs> I suppose it turned it into a, a typical slasher in some respects. And it was around the time that this sort of torture porn stuff started to get popular again. You know, you had the Saw films and... Uh, you know, uh, hostile and stuff like that. It's not as bleak as they are, but I think there was something charming about it. Um, it's weird. I agree. I'm smiling here because I agree. It's weird to say there was something charming yeah. about that film, but no, I agree with you. Wes Craven always retains a bit of a sense of humour through everything, and it might be really dark, but you're right. Some of those other torture porn style films are just relentlessly bleak and it's no it's like no one had any fun making it whereas i think they had a load of fun making the hills oh yeah i think so you can you can tell just from the way that all the characters are played especially sort of the the hillbillies i think they're called yeah so you know you they're not quite zombies but you know they're they're almost mutants aren't they yeah yeah exactly and um you know, it, 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 a lot of these modern horrors, I keep talking about them, I've ranted about them previously as well, they do tend to blend into one film yeah. in total in my sort of hazy memory of them. Um, but there were sort of distinct scenes within Hills of Ice, so I think it's quite good as an ode to the, the classic of Wes yeah. Craven's film, whilst bringing something new uh, and having its own yeah. identity. It's got, I mean, it's, it is full of shock moments, if you like, there are plenty yeah. of shocking moments in it. Um but it's really well done, and I think yeah, there's there are a few kind of really disturbing moments. There's some kind of scene in the caravan that mm. yeah, oh mm. yeah. Um, it, it Wes Craven directed the remake as well, didn't he? So it's the no, I don't think so. Oh, did he not? No, that oh, was okay. so, oh, so he, he did he produce it or something then. Okay, he must have had some involvement, but it was directed by um the guy who did Piranha, the Alexandra oh, okay. Aya. Aya, is that his name? Oh, okay. Aja? Oh, yeah. right, okay. But with Piranha 3D, I kind of enjoyed it. You know, well, it was. <laughs> I'm probably in the minority, but... Yes, okay, yeah, it was yeah. just boobs and fish, but, you know... Wow. <laughs> There's a tackle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my final choice, I'm going to go for another one, which also, I think, offended a lot of people in being so different... Um, and because the original is considered such a classic, uh, the Halloween remake by Rob Zombie. Because John Carpenter's Halloween is kind of credited, perhaps not with um, inventing slashes as a genre, but for turning them into being considered actually legitimate ways of making a film. You know, this, yeah. this is a, you can make these stories. Sure, they've got the sort of giallos over in Italy and, yeah. you know, we've had stuff like Psycho, but this is, this is new and it was exciting. What mm-hmm. Rob Zombie did with his film in 2007, um, he took the idea of a, a slasher and just turned it in. Okay, there's a thing about Halloween in that you've got Michael Myers and he's got his, his yeah. creepy mask and he's sort of, it's sometimes in the bushes, and then you you look around the corner of the bushes. Jamie Lee Curtis just pokes around the corner of the bush, and he's gone. He's not there anymore. 
and it's all about him just lurking um, and that ominous music that sort of plays over the top. Oh, that soundtrack. It's yeah. classic, yeah. Yeah. The remake is just... It's just Rob Zombie all over, really. It's in your face. It's offensive. It tries to just irritate you. And, and I, I, I kind of respect it for that. I think it, what it does, it does really well. Um, I know it's another of these films that that people tend to hate and it does polarise opinion a little bit um, particularly in in the sense that what made the first Halloween great was you don't really know Michael Myers he's mm. just this guy who's stalking this woman who's babysitting and you think what what's he going to do to the these this woman is he going to kill the kids is he going to kill her you know what it's just you, you, you've got no identity for him um, and one of the things that did offend people a little, a little bit with Michael Myers, uh, Michael Myers film, with <laughs> Rob Zombie's <laughs> film, he uh, tried to turn Michael Myers into um, a human rather than this this faceless, you know, he's covered in a mask, you, you don't know who he is. Mm. They, he turned him into a person um, right. and gave him a backstory. You, the first half of the film is spent showing you who Michael Myers is, why he is the kind of person that he is, um, which, personally, I quite like in this film. Mm. I think in, it wouldn't have worked with the original. Um, no. Because that's just not the kind of film it was. In this, I quite, I quite like that. The second half of the film, yeah, okay, it goes into a little bit of, um, you know, it's just 17-year-old kids being a bit slutty and... You know, uh, just constantly talking about being fucked and sex and all this sort of stuff, which just makes me think that Rob Zombie is a little bit um, misogynistic and stuff. But yeah, as far as it being a modern, I mean, it, that's what it's meant to do. It is meant to cause offence on one level or another, whether you are offended by the levels of gore in it um, or whether it's just the, the the way the characters act. I think that's that's the point. And so, yeah, I think it's worth a watch. Um, because it's just it, it, it revitalizes something, it changes something, and it gives it a new new identity whilst still being Halloween. So, ah, yeah. that's an interesting one. I've I've never expected that. I've I've not seen Rob Zombie's Halloween. I've just not really heard much good Rob, in the way. Yeah, <laughs> Rob Zombie as a director. Yeah. Full stop. I mean, it's the only thing of his I've bothered to watch because I know yeah. every you know, people who his opinion I've trusted have told me to to avoid things like House of Yeah, business. I always think that it's just going to give me a head. If I watch one of his films, I'm just going to get a headache and get angry. Yeah, at least it's something different. He's not. He didn't just go out and remake Halloween. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That, that would be pointless. Yes. Mm. Oh, thanks, Owen. Okay. Okay, James, what's what's on your list? Okay, I, I've kind of done a bit of an Owen here, not in the sense that I've picked three horror films, but and I might have stretched the rules slightly. Um, we'll, we'll see. Um, I will say I've got three films here where I haven't actually seen the original. I'm just tell, I'm just telling <laughs> you that the remake is worth watching because it's a brilliant film, uh, and a couple of them I, I, I've actually chosen because. I didn't even realise there were remakes, and I found that quite interesting when I was going through my, my, my research. So the first one I'm going to talk about is uh, an Arnold Schwarzenegger film from 1994, directed by James Cameron, <laughs> True Lies, which I never realised was a French film 
from three years before called La Totale. What? Uh, directed by Claude Ziddy. Yes, uh, the basic plot is exactly the same. Uh, a wife discovers that her hugely boring husband is, in fact, an international spy. Um, <laughs> and it's just it's absolutely uh, just bizarre to find that out. Because I love True Lies. I think True Lies, for me, is the last great James Cameron film. Because uh, he went on to do Titanic, and that, well, I say last. It's not like he's got a huge body of work that's gone downhill since. He's just made a couple of films that I don't like since. Um, but True Lies is, yeah, Arnie gets to be funny. He gets to try out a bit of his comedy side. He gets to try. He gets to do his usual action stuff. Hangs off a plane at one point. Um, it, it, True Lies is such one of those great blockbusters that uh, we've spoken recently, haven't we, about the fact that there doesn't seem to be that kind of blockbuster about anymore. There doesn't seem to be films like True Lies about anymore, which are kind of, there is enough action and enough violence and enough swearing to get like adults, teenagers and kids all quite excited. But at the same time, it's still pretty much just about family entertainment as well. I, I'm sure I watched True Lies when I was like 13, 14, um, and, and it was great fun. I'm not uh, sure how much of it is, <laughs> family entertainment I mean um, I bet it's a 12 now you know you reckon I'm going uh, to yeah. check while you're talking because I think okay, with the stuff with all the dancing and stuff does that I don't know anyway sorry carry on oh yeah the sexy Jamie Lee Curtis <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. You, don't, you, don't, you don't actually see anything naked there do you you don't actually get gratuitous bre- it's just her in her underwear and, and again, and do you know what? I think a lot of it's about the tone rather than, you know, obviously there are a load of explosions and people get killed, but that kind of stuff happens in Bond movies as well and stuff like that. And, and I don't mean like family entertainment for like little children, but I do think it's something that, you know, uh, some teenagers and their parents can sit down and enjoy and mm. it, watch the film. It's got some great one-liners. Um, uh, Arnie on a truth drug is hilarious. Um, yeah, I'm just big fan of True Lies, and like I say, it, it, I, there's a French original which I've got to try and find now. And I've got, I really want to watch the French original, La Totale, which was only made three years beforehand. So Cameron must have literally seen it and bought the rights there and then. Um, so that's really interesting. But the next one, well, just before you move um, on, it was a 15, oh, yeah. by the way. Oh, it's a 15, is yeah. it? Oh, okay. Anyway. Yeah, there's some 12s that I, some 12 A's I've seen recently which I've not been happy. I, I, I'd, I'd rather my kids watch True Lies than some of the 12 A's I've seen recently. I'll tell you that. Yeah, like the take. I'd rather they watch True Lies than Taken Two. There you go. Okay. Uh, I've not even seen Taken Two, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> it's not got a nice message for teenagers. Whereas True Lies, bit of fun. God bless America. Um, and you know, be yourself. A <laughs> really important message, I think. Yeah, if um, yourself is. A person who kidnaps their wife and holds a hostage and pretends. Yeah, but it's all for jokes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, second one, interesting. Uh, we've had a, a John Carpenter film that was remade. Um, this is a John Carpenter film that was a remake, and it's one of my favourite films of all time. I was torn. I didn't want to have too many body horror. Uh, films from the 80s in here so I had to shun David Cronenberg's The Fly which is, in itself is a brilliant film uh, and a remake of a 1950s film I think it's 50s uh, for John Carpenter's The Thing um, which was made in 1982 and is based on the Howard Hawks and Christian Nimby film The Thing from Another World which I've never seen and I probably I don't, 
Have you seen it, Owen? Yeah, I've got it on DVD. Is it good? Not really. No. The, the, yeah. the, the difference is that the thing is like a vegetable. It's like a vegetable man. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah, it's no. a bit different. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the thing is also on my list, so... Oh, is it? Oh, okay. Oh, let's talk about it. And, and also quite unique in that the thing has also had a further remake um, mm. two years ago. Well, it's a prequel. It's a prequel. It's a prequel. And we're, uh, to be fair, which te- technically I think makes it a remake of the thing from another one. Oh, I, can't, I couldn't quite work it out. It's a prequel because if you, at the start of the thing, there's two Norwegian yeah, guys from the, the dog chase. Yeah. dog, which is the thing. And what what a way for the film to open as well. Yeah, crack it. And, and, and the prequel is is about the Norwegian base rather than the. Ah, oh, that's it. Yeah. That's what's uh, but yeah, Kurt Russell, uh, a you know classic John Carpenter's you know main man here, right. uh, with an awesome beard, uh, kind of rebellious helicopter pilot who is the only man that can try and. Uh, bring sanity and order to this camp, which is in the Antarctic uh, and is being attacked by a shape shifting alien. It's, uh, it's it's a it's a great film. Um, I love John Carpenter's period in the eighties. I think this is one of the high points of it. And there are, again a few great scenes, a bit like um, Halloween. There are a few great scenes that just really really stick out in the mind and the one with the blood test is just for mm. me one of the great scenes of cinema full stop that just the tension and the fact that these effects were all kind of there and i i miss that and i'm not, I'm not going to moan about cgi and the, things like the, that the whole because, film's really tense because for a lot of it you don't know what or who the yeah. is so you've got no idea you know one of them is or something yeah. is but you just don't know what you don't know what um, it, it's a film about paranoid men essentially rather than yeah the alien is well, is, is part par- is in the background paranoia and isolation because they're paranoia isolation and, and, and um, whatever and machismo as well it, it's it's about men together getting paranoid and not trusting each other uh, and I think it's great love and um, it's a great double bill along with um, Ridley Scott's Alien that that mm-hmm. kind of era that dark brilliantly realised creature sci-fi. Uh, so yeah, uh, that, that's that's one of my choices and I'm glad Steve went along with me on that one. We had a little bit of crossover. And then finally, uh, a film that I never knew was a remake and it's a really nice, interesting story as well. Uh, Airplane. <laughs> yeah. Uh, originally... Did you did you know that, did you? Because I, I only yeah. found out. It's, it's a remake that's a bit of a twist on a remake though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, basically, uh, Jerry Zucker, Jim Abrahams, and David Zucker, when they were making Kentucky Fried Movie, they used to leave their video recorder recording overnight, so they could then watch the adverts back in the morning and kind of come up with spoofs and parodies of those adverts for Kentucky Fried Movie, which I think I may have even reviewed on this uh, podcast before. Um, and then one one day when they were going through what they were overnight they saw this film from 1957 called Zero Hour which is it stars Sterling Hayden who was in Stanley Kubrick's um oh god I've forgotten it the, the heist one really early in his career but I lent him one The Killing yes um yes uh, Sterling Hayden is star of The Killing uh is in this 
And it is about, it's a thriller about a passenger flight that turns dangerous when the crew is felled by food poisoning, leaving a traumatised war pilot as the only man on board able to land the plane. And uh, basically Zucker uh, and Abrahams saw that and thought, yeah, we should do a parody of that. Um, but what they did, rather than just do a parody of a disaster movie, they bought the rights to zero hour so they could use scenes and directly lift them and so it's not just the storyline they take scenes they take some dialogue they even take some camera angles and things like that so that they can do it but for laughs uh and and then ended up making one of the funniest comedies uh, of all time and i think that's absolutely genius and I, i'll be honest, i never knew about that until today <laughs> and now i kind of desperately want to see zero hour as well uh, which is weird, you know, I want, I want to see Airplane without the jokes. It's a bizarre state of affairs. But um, that's why that one is, for me, the number one in terms of my remakes that are worth watching. Because although they took exactly the same film, they did something utterly, utterly different mm. with it. So that that's my final choice. You know, Airplane, I always thought the title was a joke. I always thought, oh, they spell about Airplane, Airplane. That's, what, that's very funny. That's actually how they spell it in America, apparently. I found yes. out this year. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, that was the first time I realised that is that's not a joke. That is literally what what they would call it. Yeah. Oh, just, oh, oh bless them. <laughs> bless our four or five listeners as well. God bless America. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So my ignorance. <laughs> yeah. James has taken one of my choices. These are two more. First one is Insomnia from two thousand and two. One of the lesser-known Christopher Nolan films was a remake of a Norwegian film from 1997 of the same name. Hmm. Stars um, Robin Williams in one of his more in one of his serious roles as a uh, as a murderer as a killer, and Al Pacino as a he's an LAPD detective who gets sent up to Alaska to help with a case, um, and he's slowly driven mad partly because um you know he can't sleep why that's why the film's called insomnia because he's got this case to deal with he accidentally shoots his partner early on in the film and kills him and he and he fiddles with the crime scene to make to try and pin it on the suspect that they were chasing um and he also can't sleep because he's in alaska it's perpetual daylight so he can't sleep and it's really one of you two must have seen it I like it. I, do, I, I like, like it as well. Really, yeah. I, li- I like seeing Robin Williams in one of these roles where he's not, you know, comedy. Yeah. Although, he generally plays a psycho when, he, when he's doing <laughs> serious, yeah. but he's a good psycho. But yeah, it's um, really creepy. Yeah. I, I think I'm struggling to remember a good Al Pacino film since this. I was just well. thinking the same thing, yeah. Who, really a bit like Robert De Niro, is just coasting has been coasting for a decade yeah, now. Nero just seems to be doing anything. Yeah. Every uh, what well, Al Pacino's advertising Sky and appearing in Adam Sandler comedies. Um so I've 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 lost all faith in him but he no I he's mean, he really is 70 good odd years old though no. Oh yeah. So. Oh no no. I I just wish that he he surely doesn't need the money. I just no. wish that he'd do um like Gene Hackman just go do you know what I'm not going to or Jack Nicholson just go I'm done. Yeah, yeah, I'm not just going to appear in shit for money. Anyway, Insomnia though, great film, and I think really quite um, overlooked when it comes to Christopher Nolan's works. It, a lot of people, I, I know that um, 
the it's not the majestic. That's a different film. The the magic one. Uh, I'm doing it again. The per- I'm going to see uh, the, the, the Prestige. Prestige. The yeah. Prestige. Um, yeah, that kind of didn't do very well, but a lot of people have retrospectively given it almost genius status. Not, I'm a big fan of the Prestige as well. I'll be honest, but uh, Insomnia hasn't had that same level of retrospective ease from people, uh, and I think it deserves it. it rem- in fact, in a lot of ways, like that, it reminds me of David Fincher's The Game as well. It's that kind of one that slipped under the radar for the director. The two, the two main characters, Pacino and Williams, were actually. Pacino's really good as a, as a cop whose whose life seems to be falling apart around him, and he can't handle what's going on. Yeah, no, no, he, no. I think it's good. And um, uh, the female seriously, I'm going to see her. Yeah, she's from, I know what she's from. She's in uh, Million Dollar Baby and things like that. Yeah, she, yeah. Uh, Hillary Swank. Yes, Hillary Swank. There we go. She's also very good in it as well. It's actually quite a small piece in that sense. There aren't a huge amount of characters. Not a huge amount of locations. It's considering it's filmed in the open, the vast open vistas of Alaska. It's actually a very claustrophobic piece as well. Mm. Um, of that idea, you know, small town America, um, very starkly shot. But no, I, I agree with you, Steve. I think it's a, I think it's a great little film, and I'll, I'll be honest, I've not seen it for a long time. I've got a bit of an itching to watch it now. Uh, and my final film is a remake of a French film titled Trois Hommes et un Coffin from 1985. Okay. If you translate that into English, yeah. you get Three Men in a Cradle. Oh, yeah, I found out about this today as well. <laughs> if you translate that into Hollywood, you get Three Men and a Baby. Yeah. That's a great little film as well. Starring I nearly had this on my list. starring Tom Selleck, Steve... Gutenberg and Ted Danson. You couldn't get a more eighties film. <laughs> no, last. I think this is the last good film that Steve Gutenberg did as well. Probably the last good film all three of them did. <laughs> Ted Danson's doing some good late work at the moment in television. He's doing some great work in television. But no, He's I agree with CSI, you. Isn't he? I haven't seen him in CSI. He was in Bored to Death, um, which is really good. And he's in Damages, and he's very good in Damages as well. But no, I've, yeah, I've not seen. Oh, and Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's Absolutely brilliant as Ted Danson in Curb Your Enthusiasm as well. But yeah, film-wise, you're right. They've they've all gone off the boil a bit. Haven't they? Definitely. Tom Selleck hasn't done anything good since being in Friends. I don't think. Uh, no, that would that would be correct. Um, yeah, it's a real shame, isn't it? I'm sure wasn't Steve Gutenberg in Pantomime in London or something a couple really? of years ago. Oh I'm sure he's doing Panto because uh, it pays well. So yeah, someone got Steve Gutenberg over here to do Panto. Kind of gutted, I didn't go. Uh, but uh, do you know what? Three Men and a Baby. It's, it's a good, fun film. I like it. The, uh, Tom Selleck has been in what's this? Three, four, five, six, seven TV movies where he's played oh, the yeah. character Jesse Stone. In I don't know what what all this is about. Now, probably it's probably like a modern day style Columbo or something like that. Mm. Detective they make TV movies of. That's that's sad. I mean, Blue Blue Bloods is doing really well in America, though. Oh, of course, he's in Blue Bloods, isn't he? Yeah, I no, mean, that's right. It's not like he's dropped off the face of the planet. He's just um, doing a really mediocre TV series that seems yeah. to be quite popular. Anyway, Three Men and a Baby is about three friends 
who are bachelors and live in New York, and one day a baby turns up, and there's also a, a heroin subplot to the film as well. God, I forgot about that. And there's also a sequel called Three Men and a Little Lady. And get yeah. this, my research day has found out that uh, a, a new sequel is supposedly in, the, in development that will reunite the trio titled Three Men and a Bride. Three men are... Oh, right, so the the little lady's getting married. Yeah. Uh, and they're all going to go and give her away. Oh. I hope it happens. I, I hope it happens. I'll, I'll go and see that. I, I would pay... I, I genuinely I, will. I would pay my hard-earned cash to see that. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to see Gutenberg back on screen again. Just, just the chap. I bet he still looks as young as he did then as well. Just a story come to a natural conclusion. Exactly. It's got to be a trilogy. It's got to be a trilogy. It doesn't, does it? <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I also read as well in my research that apparently in 2011, Adam Sandler was looking to remake it with some of his mates. And I just thought, oh, thank God that oh, happened. Oh, that would have been horrific. Fuck off. Fuck off, Sandler. No, I, I, that was that was quite a nice triple bill there. Uh, oh, uh, um, about Adam Sandler, I found out today he's the most overpaid uh, actor in Hollywood. Um, there's a, a top ten of the actors who give you the most per dollar spent on their salary um, and the least per dollar spent on... And he, for every dollar spent on his salary, his films only earned the studio back $3.50. Um which, which I thought was actually that's still a positive thing. I couldn't quite work out. Doesn't how he it works. do a lot of his own films though? I mean, a lot of it, the films that he makes are just him and his mates going on holiday. I it's basically in terms of what the studio pay him to do that though. I think uh, him and Catherine Heigl were the two most overpaid uh, actors. Although Nick Cage was in the top ten, that really upset me. Yeah, but Nick Cage is never overpaid. Knowing. Yeah, Ghost Rider and Ghost Rider 2. We could go on. Well, we won't because it's Nick Cage. Do do you know what? Everything else about those films is wrong. There was nothing wrong (laughs) with Nick Cage in those films. Apart from Knowing, which is honestly the worst piece of shit I've ever seen. There we go. Anyway, um, that's it for for Triple Bill. And we'll be back after the break with some new release reviews of Frozen, Homefront and Old Boy. Welcome back, and here's some new release reviews. First up is Homefront, seen by me, produced by Sylvester Stallone, uh, screenplay by Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> Put that on the poster, seen by Steve, produced <laughs> by Sylvester Stallone. Uh, starring Jason Stay from Jay Franco, uh, Renona Ryder, Kate Bosworth. Here's a clip. Who's watching your kid? There she all by herself, just waiting on you. Come tuck her sorry ass in and read her a bedtime story. That was a clip of Homefront, which, uh, as mentioned, stars Jason Statham. Um, he is a DEA agent who 
um, crosses a bunch of drug traffickers, goes into hiding, and then they find him, and then they cause him all kinds of problems and try to kidnap his daughter and and kill him and, and all that kind of thing. Um, not not really much to say about this. It's it's, <laughs> your, it is, it's it's your typical Jason Statham action film. It's not great. It's not terrible. It's enjoyable. There's worse things you can do with that. You know the amount of time that it goes on for. You won't dislike it if you're if you like action films like that. If you like Statham films, if you like him. I mean, there's there's no real criticism of the other people in it. I mean, James Franco, Winona Ryder, and Kate Bosworth. It just kind of it's strange for them to be in this kind of film, but they're not bad in it. It's just kind of strange for them to turn up in an action, you know, film of this type. See, I was really looking forward to it. I thought the cast looked great. Um, like you say, it's odd to see James Franco in a in a film like this. But I, I sort of had and Winona Ryder as well. Yeah, well, that, I, I, yeah. it is weird. Yeah. Me. yeah, yeah. But I mean. I, I quite like St- Stallone as a director now. I think we've seen a couple of his films. He did um, Expendables wasn't great, but you know Rocky Balboa and Rambo were quite good. Um, and we've talked about well, only recently, I think, about he's on a little bit of um, a comeback at the moment and, and doing stuff. Mm. I know he doesn't star in this, but I thought, you know, considering the form that he's in at the minute, it's probably going to be quite good. It's the state, so he's obviously going to be good as well. He was he's in form at the minute, you know. I thought he was brilliant in Hummingbird, um, or Redemption, or whatever it was called over here. So yeah, I'm a little bit perhaps surprised is the wrong word, just a bit disappointed that you didn't enjoy it more. Well, I haven't no, seen it myself to compare, but you know, it's, it's enjoyable, but it's it's not you know if you like Jason Dave action films, you'll like it. If you don't, you won't. But it's, there's nothing wrong with it, but there's just not really much to say about it. Mm. I mean, there's, there's guns, there's explosions, there's people dying, there's fights. They, that's pretty much it. Yeah. It may, it makes me sound like I'm being down on the film, and I'm not. But there, there isn't really a lot to say about it. I can't really have a in-depth discussion <laughs> about the plot and the morals and, <laughs> and the ethics and the and and the lighting and the direction and everything it, it's just that action film where stuff blows up and people shoot people but it's fun that's fair enough okay <laughs> don't know what more you want from me owen is next with a review of the remake of old boy before he does that here is a clip of it you read them you read my letters? You read them right. Who are you? Your friend Chucky called me because you were in really bad shape. Well, I'm all right now, so I can get out of here. No, you're far from all right. What are you doing here? I apologize for reading your letters. You didn't call the police? No, I didn't. Why? I believe you. Why? I uh, believe that you've been locked up for a long time. Touch me. What if I thought you knew too much, huh? Reading my letters. What if I felt like I needed to kill you right now? Then I suppose I'd be dead. Okay, so that was a clip of the remake of Old Boy. Um, Owen? Let's 
talk about it. Yes. Yeah, so, oh, okay. The um, okay. But basically, before I start, there does have to be a little bit of a disclaimer um, because it is a remake. We've already done our triple bullet bet remakes. We are aware how they have the potential to offend people sometimes particularly a film like Old Boy, where the original is... I mean, it's only 10 years old. I know it's a Korean film, so it's in one of them foreign languages that we don't speak over here, but it's it's still co- kind of considered a classic. Um, indeed, I think, James, you love the original Old Boy, don't you? I genuinely love yeah, it. I, it's an absolutely brilliant film. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of Chan-Wook Park, the director. Um, so... Yeah, okay. So initially, I, I didn't really know what to expect from a remake, what it was going to do differently. Um, but my disclaimer is actually more around my opinion of it. Um, because I've, <laughs> I've written a load of notes for this review. Okay, I, I, after seeing the, after coming out of the cinema yesterday, I thought, right, this is what I thought about the film. I better make sure I've recorded this because there wasn't a lot more to it that I wasn't expecting. It seemed quite similar in a lot of respects to the original. Indeed, I thought some scenes in it were pretty much carbon copies of the uh, original film. So Spike Lee's kind of just not done anything new with it. Um, However, today I have kind of had to revise my opinion a little bit because I did go back and rewatch the original film, the 2003 South Korean version, and I've realised I've made a sort of error of judgement almost, because there is a lot different to it. There are a few similarities, which I'll sort of come on to in a minute, um, but, you know, those broader similarities, they were going to be existent regardless, but just because of the nature of the story, Mm. which I will explain in a minute, please bear with me. I'm not going around Mm -hmm. in, in the massive circle at the minute, but... The, the scenes I thought were identical, actually, they aren't really that much alike anyway. Um, parts of the film, the emphasis on both films is slightly different, uh, particularly with regards to the protagonist and the sort of things he experiences. Um, mainly because more time is spent developing it in one film than it is in the other. Uh, and so, yeah, in hindsight, the notes that I've written down about Old Boy, they seem a little bit harsh now. But I'm going to go through them anyway, and then I'm going to correct myself as I go through it. So it's a bit of a long-winded approach, but hopefully you'll sort of understand why as I do it. Right, so, okay, so to start with, what what did I expect from the remake before going in? I kind of honestly maybe thought it would be decent, um, along the same lines as the original, with perhaps a few different alterations here and there, and that is what I thought I ended up with. I mean, the performances um, from the characters... Josh Brolin, who is excellent, he plays um, a guy called Joe, who uh, ends up being quite, uh, well, as the description for my NDB says, obsessed with vengeance. It sort of overtakes his life after, for some reason, he's just kidnapped out of the blue. He's this obnoxious, alcoholic, um, loud guy in the early 90s who's really just, he hasn't got any friends, he's really offensive to everyone he knows. Uh, he just ends up being taken just off the street um, and finds himself, he wakes up and he's in this, this room with no exit. He's just stuck in a room. Um, and he he ends up being stuck in it for 20 years. Never receives an explanation. 
um, no contact from anybody. All he gets is food shoved under the door for him to eat. And he's got a TV in his room, which he's choice to keep up to date with news. Um, and he, it finds out that he's been framed for the murder of his wife. Um, and their, their young daughter is taken away from them. And that's all he knows. Um, so over this 20 years, he turns himself from um, this overweight, um, this drunk man who's constantly drinking. Every time he gets food passed through the door to him, he also gets passed a bottle of vodka. And slowly he just kind of weans himself off it, um, turns himself into, trains himself, follows all the exercise things that he can find on TV, uh, and turns himself into a bit of a fighter and decides, I am going to get revenge on whoever's done this to me. In the original, vengeance is like a main theme, and it's sort of, because it's put, the original Old Boy is part of, um, a, a, well, it, it wasn't made to be part of a trilogy, but it's dubs as a vengeance trilogy. Yeah. Um, with, along with uh, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance and a film called Lady Vengeance. Um, so in this, the themes are still there. It's still got that very similar theme that I mentioned. It's still very much the same film. But the, the the way that it's it's kind of played out is different. So without going into too much detail about what is different, because it's very hard not to spoil anything with Old Boy, the less you know about what's coming, the better, the more you're going <laughs> to yeah. get out of it. Um, but just to say, if you have seen the original, okay, yes, what you're thinking of, it is still the main bit of this film just very differently portrayed there's lots of different ways they go about it and so from from what i had in my memory of the original i thought that it was played out exactly the same way since re-watching it no it's not so i was wrong on that if you read any of my tweets or you've seen my review on letterboxd <laughs> yeah i apologize it wasn't it wasn't all that similar after all um so yeah i can't really talk too much about the story because i don't really want to spoil it for anyone that's just a very dickish thing to do so I'm going to talk in uh, more about sort of the people who are involved, particularly Josh Brolin. Brolin. I've already mentioned he's excellent. Um, perhaps mm, plays the role very differently to Choi Min Sik, who um, again is an actor that I've talked about before and various different things. Like I saw the Devil, he's just fantastic in, in, in that film. He's fantastic in the original version of Old Boy, but it is a very different way of playing that guy who's who's desperate. This guy who's uh, been locked away from the world and all he knows now is this this deep revenge that's built up inside of him um but yeah Bronian he gets both that uh obnoxious character i've talked about the big just utter bellend character that he plays to start with uh and as well as that he gets this fierce menacing uh hard bastard role spot on perfectly as well i mean it's just a it's, it's the best thing about this film i think is Bronian's performance uh, support roles, you've got Elizabeth Olsen, who is alright. She's, yeah, you know, it's a good performance, I guess. It's not bad. Uh, it's a bit better than average. But you've got Samuel L. Jackson, who turns up and plays Samuel L. Jackson. Um, <laughs> but weirdly, Charlotte O'Copley, who is a little bit of flavour of the month, I think, at the minute. He's done really well in Elysium. Obviously, District 9 is his sort of big breakthrough. He's in this as well. And he's very good. It has a very strange accent, which I'm not going <laughs> to explain. When you sort of see this film, you'll understand it's a very peculiar accent. Someone described it to me as being like the guy from Crystal Maze. And 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of Harry Sounds. But um yeah, it's great. So yeah, there are things that are replicated. Um but one of the, the one of the big things that was in the original old boy that everyone loves is that sort of side scrolling, all shot in one take, big fight scene. Um that is in this this that when I watched that I thought, this is just why is he it's just done it exactly the same as it's in the original. Uh no, actually it's it's different. It's bigger. It's um it, 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 perhaps not bolder, but it's it's just there's more like a video game element to that. Um, sort of Does it goes top of... down. I heard someone say it goes top down scroller rather than side scroller. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so he sort of starts on one level, goes down to the next level, um, and then obviously you have like in the original, there's a scene with the lift and the doors, and so it sort of tries to do sort of, sort of play on that really. Um, right. I mean, there were a few little nods and winks to the original. There's, you know, the octopus scene in the original is quite a famous one as well. In this, there's just sort of... It, it doesn't go that far at all, ever. But it's, there's just sort of a, hey, look, there's an octopus in the restaurant. Isn't that quite cool? So, you know, there's lots of little nods and winks, if you like. One thing that really annoyed me with this... Well, two things that really annoyed me. Firstly, the music in it is just shit. It's awful. Right. It's just, like, made-for-TV levels of background music. I just don't understand why they've done it. It's not tense. It doesn't add anything. I don't know whether they've tried to kind of make it sound similar to the original, but it just doesn't. Whereas the original has that grand operatic um, classical score, which is just fantastically used. But yeah, in this it's not. The other thing that annoyed me is the the surprise um, from the original is a complete surprise, comes out of nowhere, and it just, yeah. whoa, oh that, wow. Kicks you in the stomach, does, yeah. yeah. In this, you see it coming a mile off. It's just so telegraphed well before right. anything happens, just because of the way the story's done. Whether that's on purpose, because they know everyone's already aware of what the twist is, and, you know, or twist, you know, what everyone knows what's going to happen in the end, because they've seen the original, and so they've just gone, well, we just won't main... That's the main that's, focus. That's not what the what I seem to get from Twitter. That I because I, I follow old boy. Uh, I followed their Twitter account and they were retweeting people who'd seen the film. And it seemed to be that loads of these people just hadn't seen the original film. Okay. Oh, I never saw the twist coming and stuff like that. And really? I do think I think ninety percent of the people going to see this film at least have not seen the original. Right. Okay. Well, it's it's not getting that many views though, is it? I mean, it's not doing too well in the box office. It's not. No, it's not doing too. It's not doing horrendously bad, but it's not doing great, and it's not done well critically either. And uh, yeah, again, it's not been. Com- it's not a complete bomb. It just, people have just been a bit. Uh, well, it's got like, five point. It's not even five point. Four point nine on IMDb. Yeah, I've been out for a few days, but yeah, that's that's. That's quite low, um, but there's there's probably more of a backlash against it because it is a remake of a very popular film amongst certain film circles. It's it's a hugely popular film amongst people who like to talk about film online, but in terms of I think your your multiplex audiences, I don't think many of them yeah. will have seen Old Boy, and that's not from a superior point of view. It's just speaking to people. I just don't think many of them will have seen Old Boy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it isn't a film for everyone anyway. No, no. <laughs> Even no. people who do like cinema, some of them would still be turned off by, <laughs> by old yeah. boys. But, so, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really want to spend that long talking about it because it is just a remake and 
we as people who talk about films online kind of know about the original anyway and I'm presuming most of the people who listen to us talk and blabber on about films will understand what it's about anyway so I'm going to just question I have got is about the tone of it because obviously old boy feels very much of where it's from it feels like a Korean film if uh, I think that for me that's part of the reason that I I love it so much is because it's really out there and completely unrealistic but it's almost like a you know maybe a manga cartoon it wasn't it based originally on a graphic novel or something like that I'm not sure whether it was another one of these where they've released the graphic uh, the manga just to build the popularity so they can make the film I don't know okay Either way, it, it feels very much of its culture. Um, where does Old Boy fit into that? Because obviously, Old Boy is an American film with American people, and it's ta- and quite often these remakes of Korean and Japanese films don't work because they come from such a culture, such a different culture that just transporting it to America it ends up making no sense. That happened a bit with The Ring. Um, I've certainly seen a Dark Water, and you know. Because it comes from such a different place, just transporting the location just feels unnatural. How does it feel with this film? How does it feel? Yeah, okay, that is quite a good question. I suppose um, if you didn't know it was a Korean revenge thriller that's uh, revenge thriller that's been remade, you would probably think this is really out there for an American film. I mean, it doesn't yeah. hold back on the violence much at all. It's, I mean, it is an 18 certificate and fully deserves an 18 certificate. Doesn't push some of the things as hard as the uh, Korean version does, which yeah. I think whether that is a cultural sort of side of it, I don't know. So there's like implied rape elements, I guess, mm. from the first film. In this, it's not quite the same, but there um See, no, I can't really talk about it. No, okay, I'll just (laughs) talk about the overall tone. I was surprised at how daft I found the story in this. Right. Because in the original, the first time I watched it, I thought, this is is engrossing, I can't stop watching this. This has just hooked me in. Whereas there were times when I was watching the American version, and I kept going, was was it really that daft? Was it really that silly? Um, Yeah. And all I can ascribe that to is the fact that it's Americanised. Yeah, and I, I think sometimes you let if if you're not if you don't have that kind of that huge experience of a culture, I think you let it get away with things a little bit more. So yeah. it's possible the original is completely daft, but because well, you know, I don't know Korean culture very well, I'm like, do you know what? It's your kind of almost a when in Rome, right? Mm. If that if that's what your films are like, brilliant, I'm going with it. Whereas. Yeah, we've got our own cinematic language from Hollywood, and that this, yeah. like you say, this doesn't seem like the type of film that Hollywood would make. No, I mean that that's the thing. Hollywood. If someone took the original script to Hollywood, they would never have gone. Yeah, we're making never this. They waited years. for it to be like a popular, well, at, at least successful film in Korea, and they've then remade it. But if it had gone straight to Hollywood, no one would have made it in Hollywood. No, not at all. There's not a yeah. chance in hell. Anyone would have yeah. looked at that and gone, you cannot put that into a film in the United States. Because yeah. it's, well, yeah, I mean, it's just very yeah. much um, a Korean revenge film story, yeah. you know. <laughs> but, you know, uh, yeah, it's, I, I quite liked it. I still think it was quite good. I have sort of said it's a bit silly and, and there are things that annoyed me. It's not quite as pointless a remake as something like Carrie, which was... Yeah. Uh, itself a good film it was quite well made well acted story was quite good 
but it was just a carbon copy of the original. Whereas this, I did originally think it's just mostly the same. Um, but like I say, in hindsight now, it is different. There are different things to it. So there's stuff like um, his imprisonment. If that's an aspect of the original you quite like, then it's done with, to a lot more effect in in the remake. So, you know, it, it tries to emphasise different points while still yeah. being the same kind of story. So, yeah. For me, I'd say probably about... If I'm going to rate a film, I know it's very arbitrary and, you, you know, no one really knows how I judge a film, I would say it's about a 7 out of 10. Okay. Whereas the original's an 8, perhaps a 9 out of 10. And now for something completely different. <laughs> yeah. James pretty much. has been to see Frozen. I believe we now have a clip for that. There was a clip of Frozen. Um, James, tell us about that. I believe it's a Disney film. Yes, um, it is a, a Disney film. The second uh, Disney animation film this year after Wreck-It Ralph back in February. Um, and I have to say, uh, Disney continuing on an upward slope, on an upwards curve. It, it's a it's a brilliant film. Really, really enjoyed it. Um there's a lot of talk about it being the best Disney film since The Lion King, and I can't disagree with that. Uh, I think we talk a lot about that renaissance, uh, that Disney renaissance era, where I think you know, the four big films from that era of uh, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, and Aladdin really kind of put Disney back on the map after over a decade of basically turning out crap. Um, and then they, they kind of went a bit off the boil and DreamWorks came along, came along with Shrek and uh, How to Train Your Dragon. Uh, other animation studios got involved. Um, Despicable Me. I can't remember who's made Despicable Me, but yeah, I think that's Sony, isn't it? Um, yeah, e- either way, other people got involved and Dis- and obviously Pixar uh, entered the picture and became the the go-to guys for brilliant, brilliant animation. But we've we've already had this conversation about Pixar over a number of podcasts about the declining quality of their films. And even though uh, Brave I quite enjoyed last year. I know, Owen, you enjoyed Brave as well, Mm, didn't you? But it wasn't quite at their level that we had expected uh, from some of their early films like Wall-E or Up or the Toy Story series and things like that. Monsters University was a disappointment to me this year. Uh, And Disney seemed to be doing... planes aside uh seem to be doing these things but what i will say about frozen what's different from a lot of the other animations that i've seen recently is it actually harks back to that renaissance era disney it's a it's a full-blown musical um but a really wonderfully well-realized musical it actually feels very similar in tone to beauty and the beast and the little mermaid but owes some nods to modern musicals like uh wicked now the the story itself and again just goes to show you disney going a little bit back to their roots it's based on the hans christian anderson uh story uh the snow queen um and 
this film because I've not I don't really know the original story that well so I'll just describe this film uh two sisters um grow up one uh, they're both princesses of a faraway kingdom but one of them is cursed with being unable to control um ice and snow basically she can summon up ice and snow at will and she can't control it, it reminds me a little bit actually of that, that female character in x-men who can't touch people because she might kill them what's her name again someone uh rogue rogue yeah a little bit like that basically it's this uh so one princess has to nearly kills her sister when she's young and so the family hide her away the king and queen hide her away and so the sisters grow apart because she she can't play with the sister anymore and she can't remember why she can't because some trolls took her memories away it's a bit weird that bit but go with it um but then really early on the parents go away on a voyage and die and so the two sisters are left to run the kingdom um but on the older sister with uh the ice curse on her coronation all kicks off and everyone thinks she's a sorcerer and she runs off but as she runs off in her temper she brings eternal winter to the kingdom and so the younger sister called Anna who's played by Kristen Bell who was in Veronica Mars and was Sarah Marshall in Forgetting Sarah Marshall and a number of other things she uh, decides to go and reach out to her sister Uh, and it's and what's really interesting this is this is a story about two sisters two princesses two sisters the other uh the older sister Elsa is actually played by uh Idina Menzel who is uh a Broadway star herself uh she originated um the role of Elspeth in Wicked she's also been a Disney princess because she was in Enchanted as well the not the Amy Adams character but uh the other character who becomes a princess in that one so it's got really really good Broadway musical credentials um, it's written by the people who did the music for Enchanted. Uh, not Enchanted, no, sorry, not Enchanted. Um, Tangled, the Disney Rapunzel story that was out a couple of years ago. Uh, it's got a few other kind of Broadway stars in there. Josh Gad is in there as a bit of comic relief as this um, snowman, which is the kind of the character that's a nod to the younger kids in there. But it's done really nicely. There's a lot of charm. There's a lot of humour in there. It looks absolutely fantastic. It's still a little bit weird watching a traditional Disney film at heart, which is what it is. It's a very traditional Disney film at heart with computer-generated characters rather than hand-drawn or, or or what appeared to be kind of hand-drawn characters. And that takes a little bit of getting used to. The first 20 minutes or so of setting the scene and the story is a little bit like, you know, I, I couldn't make my mind up on it. Um, but once the story takes off, it's a wonderfully charming, entertaining, and old, a real family film. I can see kids of five loving it. I really enjoyed it. It does remind me of those timeless films like Lion King, like Beauty and the Beast, which are just great stories that are told well and look brilliant. And the songs are fantastic. I, I can't get the songs out of my head. A really, really good score, but some really, really good musical elements here. Um, I, the clip that we that we played is uh, the kind of the big highlight song. Uh, it's a clip uh, called "Let It Go," which I which will win the Oscar for best song next year. Ga- absolutely guaranteed. It's a, an absolute barnstormer of a track. Um, 
there's some lovely humour in it, and it's never quite up there with the level of Toy Story or The Incredibles. You know, those very clever scripts, because it's not trying to be too knowing. There's hardly any of that. I've seen it quite recently, that knowing comedy where here's a joke for the adults and stuff like that, which is fine. This doesn't need to have the jokes for the adults. The jokes are just genuinely funny, which everyone will enjoy. Um, I'm just so happy to see a good animation come out. I know Owen did not like Wreck-It Ralph earlier this year. I quite liked Wreck-It Ralph. Um, It didn't live up... I didn't live up to my expectations, though. I wanted it. It should have been better. I still enjoyed it, but it should have been better. This is the best animation I've seen for a good few years now. It's one of my favourite films of the year. Uh, <laughs> it's under 90 minutes long. There's um, there's a, a really old school... You know how Disney have their shorts beforehand as well? A really old school um, kind of Steamboat Willie, Mickey Mouse style... Uh, inspired short which is really really nice at the beginning as well um, but no I, 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 it's difficult for me to say too much about a classic uh, a, a new classic Disney film it, it, it doesn't do anything groundbreaking um, it doesn't do anything out of the ordinary and you've seen something like it a hundred times before but those hundred times before it worked uh, and this works Yeah, it, it, it's charming it's funny and it looks fantastic and it will have you humming the soundtrack as you leave. Uh, you know, sometimes that's all I want from a film, especially coming up to Christmas time. Um, and it, it was really interesting as well that it is two female leads and it's not something I have noticed in animations recently is quite often, okay, right, okay, they think we've got to have a female lead. Well, let's make her as tomboy as possible as if mm. that's some kind of feminist thing. And, there is an argument to go, yeah, you know, girls don't have to be all girly and frilly and things like that, but they also don't have to act like boys either. And uh, there, there's a, there, you can have a happy medium where girls can be girls and still be strong feminine central characters, and that's actually what you've got here. You've got two strong feminine central characters. Um, the story itself is about sisters, and there are some love interests going on, but they're almost secondary to the plot of two sisters wanting to reconnect. Um, and it's really interesting to see that we've got some good, strong female voices out there. It's co-directed uh, by Chris Buck and Jennifer Lee. Uh, Jennifer Lee, it's her first directorial position. She actually wrote the script for Wreck-It Ralph, and they then got her involved in this, and then she started co-directing this as well. And what I do find really interesting, because I remember when Pixar were making Brave, there was a big decision at one point, because the original director of Brave was basically kicked off the film, and she wanted it to be a lot of snow and ice, and they were like, no, that's too monochrome, needs to have more green and stuff like that. This film is all snow and ice, and I don't know if there was a decision made where they went, we've already, I know Disney and Pixar are separate entities in one form, but at the same time, there's a lot of similar staff working across both studios, and Disney ultimately owned Pixar, and I can't help now thinking that because this was in development, that maybe they changed Brave from being all snow and ice because they already had a film coming out the following year which was about snow and ice. So that that's something that just came to me afterwards. Um, the score is really good, as well as the song, the score's really good. It's really nice. That, um, the guy who scored the music for Paper Man, that lovely short mm. film that made me cry before Brave, um, 
he he's he got they asked him to do the music for this and that's that's really nice that they've got new talent coming through proving themselves on the shorts and then getting a chance to do something for a feature so that that's like the old liverpool boot room or something like that <laughs> you know promoting from within really like it and it's really nice like i say to see an animation that isn't relying on celebrity voices it's just going back to basics, and it's really, really well done. And anyone who's got children, or anyone who wants just a nice, heartwarming film to go and see over Christmas, I, I cannot recommend this highly enough. Okay, uh, that is all then for our new release uh, reviews. One more quick break, and then we'll be back with some recommendations for the week ahead. <laughs> So, some uh, films for you to watch this week, starting off with something on telly for you. There isn't much on telly um, in the next seven days or so. You always say that, Steve. You always find something. There isn't, though. There's a lot lot of just repeats. A lot of stuff just gets repeated constantly on terrestrial TV channels. Especially like About a Boy on ITV2 every day. Especially ITV2 and E4. Yeah. Things ad nauseum. I have found a good World War Two film for you from 1967, Dirty Dozen, at oh, nice. five yeah. o'clock on Five USA on Saturday. Nice. Can't go Perfect wrong. time for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Owen, what are you telling people to watch? Um, going to be very boring because I've already talked about it. But Old Boy, the uh, original by Park Chan Wook. Is on Film 4 on Friday at 1.30am, but it's also on Netflix and it's on The Film Instant, so you just got it covered across all bases there, so there's no excuse. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. And uh, James? Uh, I've got one that I'm definitely not right. I'm going back to the shops again. It's getting near Christmas. You want on a guy and buy some new DVDs or Blu rays. Uh, and there's, a, there's two re releases coming out on monday uh the first one is and i don't know how this works um you can get predator the arnie classic uh one of the finest films of the 80s or the finest films ever made let's be honest mm. uh but it's it's out on blu-ray in 3d um it'll be that horrific post-production 3d oh dear but you can buy it with a predator head for 90 pound um but i, I wouldn't recommend that what i would recommend um is the 25th anniversary remastered edition on Blu-ray of Cinema Paradiso uh, is being released on Monday. It's also being got a limited re-release in cinemas as well. And if you get a chance to watch this, oh, it's such a beautiful, beautiful film about a young lad growing up in rural Italy in the the very small town cinema. And it's just a story of a young boy and how he discovers his love of the cinema. It's a, a wonderfully heart, beautiful, heartwarming film. Uh, fantastic soundtrack. And I, I've not seen the remastered print, but the original film looked gorgeous. So in Blu-ray, it's going to look even better. So that's my recommendation. Either go and see it on the big screen if you can find it anywhere near you or get hold of that on Blu-ray. Excellent. Um, and that is all for... Uh, this week's podcast. Next week we'll be back with our big main release review of The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smaug. 
among other things. Um, are we doing the Paul Verhoeven special? That'll be in a separate podcast. At some point, we've got uh, we're inducting Paul Verhoeven into our our corridor of praise. We just need to get all the pieces together. Uh, but yeah, I think it's going to be the Hobbit next week, and then it, that's probably our last podcast before our end of year special. Keep an eye out on the website so you can vote in the uh, second annual Failed Critics Awards as well. There you go, and you can find the website at the usual place. Um, thanks to everyone who's contributed to this podcast, everyone who listened, and we'll be back roughly the same time next week. The Failed Critics are James Diamond, Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, with original music provided by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, at Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritics, and on Twitter at at failedcritics.